Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, Knight fans? Sons of UCF is proudly presented by the law firm of Gordon & Partners. Since 1993, Gordon & Partners have been dedicated to the pursuit of justice for those who have been wrongfully injured at no fault of their own. It's important that you get legal advice from somebody you trust, so contact UCF alum Michael Hoffman directly if you have any legal needs or questions. Visit their website, fortheinjured.com, or text 407-913-5350 to talk to Michael directly. Don't just trust anybody. Trust the best. And trust a knight. Gordon and Partners, for the injured. This is the Sons of UCF, the number one place for UCF sports, with your distinguished host, Adam. Let's all get together and see who can solve the wordle the fastest. And Mike. You know, last year, I think I said about 30 people in the UCF, Sons of UCF group. Let's try to double that. Let's try to get 50. Now, here are the guys. Well, Hello. Welcome into the Sons of UCF, episode number 198. My name is Adam, and as always, my friend and yours, Mr. UCF Mike, is joining me for yet another week. Michael, my friend, uh, win for the Knights this week, a tough week coming up ahead. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm doing a lot better than a lot of people are doing suffering through this storm. I don't know. You're going to be able to hear it in the background probably throughout the, the show here. Some thunder, some maybe some squalls of rain. I'm in the garage. I hear it perfectly. I don't know if it's coming through on your end. But uh, all things considered, I guess I'm doing okay. Yeah, we got a lot to, to, to digest. We got some breaking news here off the top of the show. We'll get to all that. Um, a reminder, though, we are uh, part of the uh, 1012 Network, Mike. Also part of the Sports Trick Network and brought to you by our good friends at Gordon and Partners. Make sure you, uh, you, you check those folks out again. They throw major, major, major major tailgates. So make sure you uh, you check those out, Michael. Let's start off with the breaking news off the top. Obviously, SMU is scheduled to come to UCF on Saturday to play the Knights. Uh, Hurricane, is it Ian or Ian? I don't know how we're pronouncing this, by the way. I was going to ask you. I, this name always bothered me. I never liked this name. Yeah. I-A-N. How do you say it? I-N-E-N. Ian, Ian, I've heard, like, if you're real fancy. I was going to call it Ian, just because Ian's earring from 90210. Yeah, that's the. I think that's the way I've been calling it, Ian. I think that's the best, like Ian Eagle, right? Yeah. Who's somebody that you know that's Ian? Didn't we go to school with an Ian or something? Ian Dyer. Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. Hopefully, he doesn't hear this. Uh, well, anyway, Hurricane uh, Hurricane Ian is uh, scheduled to be in Orlando, and UCF dropped news today that the SMU game has been moved to Sunday now, Mike. So no longer Saturday. 
Sunday, 1 p.m. Um, TV to be announced. It'll be on an ESPN network of some sort. Obviously, if you had tickets for Saturday, your tickets are still good for Sunday if you so choose to go, Mike. But a lot of ifs, a lot of unknowns. Um, yeah, the storm obviously uh, tracking to get to Orlando sometime late Wednesday into early Thursday. Who knows what the damage will look like, power outages. So uh, still a bunch of unknowns from that perspective. But UCF SMU now rescheduled Sunday, 1 p.m. Mike, your thoughts? Are you good with Sunday? Do you think they should have done later in the week? Where, where are you at with this decision? I understand that they had to do something. I mean, the closer the storm is getting, the more dangerous it looks. It looks like Saturday. You know, Saturday, the weather should be out of here. But there's other things to consider, like SMU coming into town. They were supposed to fly in on Friday. If the weather's still iffy, you don't want them doing that. So I understand the move. I know they tried to keep it at Saturday 3.30 as long as possible. They even sent out a tweet today saying uh, it's it's still going on as scheduled. And then a couple hours later, they released this news. But to me, Sunday, 1 o'clock? Sunday at 1 o'clock during the NFL season? I mean, of all the day, I don't I, – you can move it to Sunday. How about like a 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, you know? Right in between those 4.30 night games, I think you get some good viewership. One, one o'clock, that game's going to get lost. It's going to be us, the diehards, the people listening to this show, and you know that the couple of SMU fans that are out there that are going to be watching this game. Nationally, nobody's going to know about it. Yeah, I mean, look, there's still a possibility this game does not get played Sunday either. If there's anything that happens locally in Orlando and and you know emergency personnel are needed, they're not going to want to dedicate resources to a football game, right? So it's a possibility this thing still doesn't go off on Sunday. But to your point, obviously, UC have tried to wait in the American Conference, I guess, tried to wait as long as they could to, to make this decision. The, uh, so SMU and UCF share a bye week, Mike. So the, the very next week, they both are off. They both have an open date on their schedule. They both could have agreed to play this game next uh, next weekend, taking this as a bye weekend. Um, again, that that didn't happen for some reason. There are thoughts maybe they could play this game next Thursday. Right, so make it another Thursday night game again with a bye week um, coming up after that. But um, neither of those options at least took hold for now. I'm curious, what do you think the – well, I mean, hard to hard to say, right? Because you don't know what the storm impact is. What do you think the attendance? What are you looking at? You know, we we hold what forty five thousand roughly. What? Give me the number. Give me the over under number on attendance on a Sunday one o'clock. And remember, this game was originally sold out. The first sellout of the season. It's family weekend. I put my tickets up, and they sold in minutes, and for a good price too. So this place was going to be packed. Now on a Sunday one afternoon. Um, you got to think a lot of kids are probably going home now with this storm mm-hmm. or people getting out of town because of the storm. Uh, the families that were planning on coming in now have to change their plans or maybe they were going back on Sunday anyway. So they're doing that still. Um, th- I can't see this thing being more than 25,000 people probably at that stadium that day. Yeah, I think the students is a big unknown, right? If they all got out of town and went home with their families or whatnot, right? Are they going to come back just in time for a Sunday one o'clock kickoff? In theory, they they could have class on Monday, so maybe some of them are traveling back in on Sunday to get there. But will they be there that early? Will they be there in time for that? Um, you know, probably not a lot of time to tailgate, which is what a lot of people really love to do. You know, the other item to consider, though, I know so UCF schedule is going to be really impacted this week. So um, Wednesday, I think they're going to be able to get in maybe a walkthrough or something but they got to get that in early. Right. And then basically there's no practice They're They're huddled up Wednesday, probably Thursday. 
you know, they're back out maybe doing a walkthrough or practice on Friday, assuming things are well, another walkthrough on Saturday. So they, they don't lose a practice day. So logistically for UCF, it makes some sense. For SMU, the airports are going to be closed. You know, to your point earlier, when can they get in if the airports are still closed Friday or, or something along those lines? You know, can they safely get a flight in? Um, so that's another consideration. So the infrastructure probably forces it to at least be Sunday at the earliest. I'm surprised they didn't try to, you know, squeeze this thing in, you know, during the week. Or again, they have the open bye week, Mike. They could have literally just been like, all right, we're all off this week. You know, we've already prepared, but more important things have come to pass. Let's, you know, let's let's do this next weekend. So I'm, I assume there's a reason why they want to do that. I assume, you know, there's there's a purpose. But tactically, though, I mean, are you concerned? I mean, we're rushing this game, and obviously UCF's heads are going to be all over the place. You know, just in thinking about other items, you know. It's an, it's an important game. I hate to not take this focus off of the hurricane, right? Because I know that's the important thing. It's an important game. The conference opener against a team that just thrashed us last year, a team that's, you know, a, a really good team in SMU. Uh, this is this is not one like, you know, when we played Maine after a storm, whatever it was. Like, this is going to be a big one, Mike. And that's what's interesting about this is you, you, I'm surprised they didn't try to take the more conservative approach so that we could be at optimal performance to play this game. You almost have to say this is a must-win game. I mean, in the conference, first game, SMU is one of the teams that you're going to be battling out for for a championship spot. You know, we've already talked about Cincinnati's look pretty good this year. Houston's not bad. And, you know, they have had their ups and downs. But SMU is a game you got to win head-to-head if you want to win a tiebreaker to get in the championship game later. So it's a huge game. It's at home. So that's another big bonus. Um, yeah, it, this is probably one of the – you mentioned it as one of the games you were scared of before the season. A lot of people did. I mean, Trace, I think, has been talking about this game for a long time. So it would be nice to have our full crowd. Obviously, that's not going to happen with what's going on here. So uh, maybe SMU has dodged a bullet in this case. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, in theory, they may have a, you know, they have a full week of one. They actually have an, an extra day now of practice if they so choose. Right. So they have an extra. I don't know if there's any NCAA rule against that. I don't know how that works, but they have an extra day for pra- of practice of preparation. You know, these two coaching staffs know each other really well. We'll get into that in a second. Um, now flying in a, 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 over an empty crowd, a dead crowd, potentially at UCF. Uh, rightfully so, by the way. Again, people may have other things they're worried about at their house or their, their place of business. So maybe getting to a game on Sunday at 1 o'clock isn't their top priority. So this is an interesting setup. But we will we will monitor. Obviously, Mike, Trace, and I, we're going to try to be on Thursday for a live show. Um, Trace may be in the thick of it at that point. I may get some bands there. So power permitting. You know, we'll, we'll be back Thursday. If there's any updates, obviously, we'll, we'll bring that uh, all to you. So breaking news off the top, if you've lived under a rock or you're listening to us now, uh, don't show up on Saturday. There will be no game. Be there Sunday at 1 o'clock. Mike, what's your plan? Are you – you're? I don't know when your Giants play. I haven't I haven't checked. You're a diehard Monday, NFL guy. Ah, <laughs> just split screen? What do you have? You know, big little TV? Yeah. What are you doing? We have to move another TV into the living room. I did it on opening day here, too. It's not a big deal. I'll have the UCF on the big screen with the sound. I'm ask, who gets the big TV? Yeah, I mean, the Giants don't get the big TV. We saw it <laughs> last night. We had the big TV for one night. That was last night, and they blew it. So, yeah, uh, fair enough. It, yeah, that's what kind of sucks, though. That's what 1 o'clock, like, I understand Sunday. Give me a better time on Sunday, right? Give me that 5, 6 o'clock kickoff. Doesn't matter. And then you're out of that 1 o'clock window. The people watching the four o'clock games, you know, you catch them at the end. Uh, or if you're going to move it, just move it to a Monday. What about everybody loves two Monday nights or Tuesday mm-hmm. even better. And you still have a full week before the next game. We're not playing until next Thursday. So it's kind of like you get two mini buys, right? You get like 10 days off here, 10 days off there. Uh, I think it works out well for both teams. They have a buy too. So 
I don't see why we can't do this Tuesday night maction. Are they even doing those games anymore? Everybody's craving football on Tuesday nights. It's yeah. Tuesday I right now. Game on later. I think that's later. And there's no game on. It was thirty for thirty on last time I checked. Uh, there. I think it's later in the year. I think that's like come October they started doing mm-hmm. Tuesday night maction. Well, let's be the first Tuesday night of the year. I mean, you just said it. There's nothing on right now. I mean, right now uh, the Yankee game. I guess Aaron Judge is chasing sixty one still. We still have to hit that. Reminds me, I have to put that on my my phone here. My goodness, take your time, Um, Aaron. Yeah, man, but Tuesday night would work for everybody, and you still got that extra day for the next week. So better than Sunday. Yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'd rather at nine o'clock Sunday, like the next week they're playing games. I love the nine o'clock kickoff. Give me a UCF game at nine, the Giants at one. I'm in heaven. Yeah, I mean, there, there's options. Again, there's no guarantee this stays on Sunday. There could be a lot of things that change between then and now. Obviously, most importantly is is everybody getting safe, staying safe, and, and hopefully the storm um, comes through, you know, doesn't do a, a ton of damage, and we're able to quickly rebound, rebuild, and, and get back to normal quick, uh, as soon as possible. But, you know, obviously football probably secondary to that stuff, Mike. But, all right, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's, let's get through the rest of the show here, Mike. How the week. Now that'll be here. We have Mike's picks again this week. We have Gus Malzahn translator this week. We have headlines this week. We have our categories and we will break down the game, Mike. And that's what's on tap brought to you by poor choice, self pouring beer taps, Mike, something you want to get involved in 1225 mills Avenue, Orlando watch parties coming up soon, by the way, away games, get to poor choice for your watch party, Mike. And let's start off with Georgia tech. Um, I don't know what happened this weekend, Mike, but I turned on the Twitter machine and you of all people, were the voice of reason. UCF Mike was calming people down, talking people off ledges, looking at the bigger picture, offering perspective. I, w- I didn't know who was drunker, you or I, in that situation, because you were the voice of reason. UCF wins 27-10, but it was not a stellar performance, particularly on offense, even though we won. We ran the ball a lot. The passing game had a lot to be desired, Mike. But you, oddly optimistic. What... um did you not cut the pills in half? What happened? <laughs> it wasn't even at the end of the game. During the game, you and Hoffman were texting me during the game. And I, who was the, the calm one the whole time? You were. Yes, you were. Even going Well, to be fair, half. hold on. Going into half, you're like, this will be 34-10 before you know it. And it's still 16-10 in the third quarter. I was like, okay, maybe Mike's, you know, he's going to retract that. But you didn't. No. And, you know, obviously, they we know the story. The offense didn't play well. Special teams played great. Defense played well. We won the game. We won by the game by 17 points. The spread was 18 and a half. If we had scored one more field goal, one more touchdown, that that play, Morris Brash runs back, but he gets stripped at the goal line. I mean, that's the difference between covering the spread. We win by 24. Or people, I, I know why people are complaining because the passing game didn't look good. And but you're not going to ruin my Saturday. There, there's going to be days where we lose, like a couple of weekends ago when we lost to Louisville. I was miserable, right? Miserable for a week. I didn't want that feeling. We won. We won by 17 points. All the teams I hate got destroyed. They lost in miserable fashion. The Cows were getting destroyed. The Gators lost on the last play of the game. Uh, Miami. Miami (laughs) loses to Middle Tennessee State. It was a glorious Saturday, and I didn't want to ruin it by thinking about the negative parts of the game where I could just enjoy it. You know, I I had a great night sitting on the couch watching my team win and the other teams lose, and and I wasn't in the mood for people just trying to bring me down. Bigger picture, a win is a win. They, they, I mean, they, they don't come easy. We, we won one. I, I said this last week, Mike, and I guess this is just where, where I'm at. And I, I completely did not listen to my own advice, which is not surprising. But we just have to stop expecting that this is a high-powered offensive team that's going to put up 600 yards every, every game. I think it's clear Gus 
you know, Gus is going to game plan game to game on what he thinks the best strategy is, what he thinks the best strength is. Obviously, the running game, uh, you know, Georgia Tech had not been a great rushing defense. It was clear off the opening drive, 20 plays, by the way, that Gus's mentality was we're going to run the ball, we're going to establish a run today, uh, and and perhaps that ruins the rhythm from a passing game standpoint. Um, but I, I, that, I think that's the challenge is we have to just understand that Gus is going to try to figure out a way to win games, however he can win games. We're used to winning games you know, frost style, hypo style, where it's 50 to nothing. And we're just, you know, we're bombing away. We're scoring, you know, we're, we're high flying. Gus is clearly going to be more methodical and, and play the game the way he wants, he wants to play. This was his game plan. He wanted to run the ball as much as he could wanted to, you know, really get Georgia tech into submission. And at the end of the day, it worked, right? It worked. I mean, we ran the ball effectively. We, we controlled the clock for a bunch of time. Defense stopped up when they had to special teams stepped up. And we come out with a victory. And so in, at the end of the day, it's hard to look at that and go, hey, well, what an idiot you are, Gus Malzahn. Well, I mean, we won 27-10. I mean, it, it, to your point, we've lost games a lot a lot dumber than that. Um, I think it's just a challenge of you look at how the team played and you say to yourself, what's going to happen when we play SMU? It's going to happen when we play Cincinnati. It's going to happen when we play a better team. And I understand that, you know, your answer to me is probably going to be like, let's worry about it when we play those teams, right? We got the win today. Let's just, let's celebrate the win. But you see cracks where you go, Ugh, this is going to get ugly if we don't figure out a way to get more effective, particularly in the passing game. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And at the end of that game the other day, I also texted you, you know, this is an eight and five, eight and four team. We're going to go five and three in the conference. Because the way yeah, we played, I mean, the, I watched that game knowing that we weren't playing well. God, I'm not stupid. I'm not blind. I know what it looked like. We, we won the game comfortably against an ACC team, but we did not play well. Right. So if we play like that against Cincinnati and against SMU this week and against Tulane on the road or at East Carolina, we're going to lose three games in this conference. And I'm my expectations have come down is basically what I'm telling you. After watching these first four weeks, you know, obviously we looked really good the first week. We saw a couple little cracks, but still really good. Louisville sucked. FAU was okay, and then it got better. And now this week where it wasn't really great, uh, we'll take the three and one record going into conference play. But I don't feel as confident about this team as I did coming into the season, you know, seeing what I've seen so far. Eight of 16, 49 yards, one interception. That's the stat line passing wise of one John Rice Plumley again. The Mikey Keene conversation starts back over again. Are you panic mode? Are you, hey, it is what it is? Are you, hey, this is our guy nonetheless? Now, I will tell you 16 for 108 and a touchdown rushing. Again, 8 of 16, 49 yards and an interception, a bad interception, by the way, for the, the stat line from a, a, a passing perspective. Um, concerned or are you just like hey it is what it is <laughs> a little concerned yeah i mean when he misses the pass like to johnny richardson where he's wide open and he could have ran for days that yeah you're concerned but there's also nobody's helping the guy out either i mean uh who is it? kobe hudson in the end zone right in your hands that was a beautiful throw i mean perfectly yeah. thrown uh that's a touchdown you add that to the 40 i know it's not still not a lot of yards but maybe he's closer to 100 with a touchdown now and there's a couple other drops in there too so Obviously, he's not the most accurate, best passer, but when he gets it close, when he puts it there, you got to catch it. O'Keefe against FAU, Hudson this week. I mean, those are touchdowns that could be going on the board. His numbers would look a lot different with a couple more touchdowns. So I get everybody panicking, you know, but yeah, it goes back to you're not going to ruin that Saturday for me. I'm going to worry about SMU. Uh, well, now it's going to be Sunday, and I'm going <laughs> to worry about Cincinnati on the 29th, and I'm going to worry about East Carolina on the 22nd. I'm not a coach. You know, I don't have to make the changes. These guys got to do it. I'm not going to suffer 
when, when things are going good that day. We won, so I'm going to take it. Uh, pop quiz, who had the most receiving yards on Saturday? Oh. Uh, both I I saw the stats too. I didn't pay attention to it. I think the two leading receivers only had one catch each, right? That's correct. It was the leader for like twenty-two yards, maybe? That's correct. Uh, yeah, but I can't remember who it was. was Isaiah it Bowser. Isaiah Bowser, our leading receiver. One reception, 22 yards. You mentioned drops. There's a, a Javon Baker had a drop in there. I, Gus Malzahn said at his press conference that, you know, they have, they've had 15, 16, 17 drops. He, he listed all three numbers. I don't know which one's correct. That's a lot of drops, though, Mike. I mean, to your point, they're not giving Plumley help. And then there's a conspiracy theory. Well, he throws a funny ball. It spins differently. They're not used to catching it, right? But the reality is they, they got you, you got to hold on to those footballs, right? That's 15, 16 completions that perhaps Plumley has on his, uh, on his, on his resume. But we're going to have to be a threat in the passing game somehow. Eight of 16 and 49 yards is not going to cut it. Even if I don't care if he has to throw the ball. I mean, I don't I don't want Jeff Sims stats 21 of 32. That'd be great. But I don't I'm fine if we're, you know, if we're 11 of, of 19 for, you know, 207 yards. I can live with that. We just have to be a threat in the passing game. We weren't a threat in the passing game this game. That's fine. We didn't need to be. Georgia Tech was easy enough to beat on the on the ground. But. Thinking ahead, Gus and, and Chip Lindsey have got to find a way to make make JRP in this passing game a threat, something a defense has to honor, or else we're going to get Louisville out there in a bunch of games this year. And, and, and I think that's what has people most most frustrated was you didn't see any growth. You didn't see anything change. Um, you know, and, and I think people said, oh, it's Louisville over again. Well, that's different. We won this one, right? Louisville, we didn't win. But different competition? Eh, yeah. Georgia Tech's bad. Georgia Tech is a bad football team. I know a bad football team when I see it. That was a bad team we played the other day. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, how many times on that first drive did they bail us out with a penalty? Two, three times for first down. Uh, yeah, they they were just. You could tell that was a team that's pretty much throwing it in. We we needed to beat them up even worse than what we did. We didn't, but you know, we'll take a win as a win. Um, you know, moving on to this week now, these guys got to get this figured out. Right. Offense has 49 yards is not going to cut it, probably. But the good thing is when he's only thrown the ball 16 times, I think that's going to be the formula to winning throughout the rest of the season. If he's throwing the ball more than 20, 25 times, that means we're in trouble. Right. If he can keep his throws down to 16 to 20, yeah. I think that's a good sign. And let him run it. You know what? Let him run it. He can run. He can make first downs with his legs. Just go do it. I, I'd rather that than him sail a ball over a guy's head for an interception. Take it and take your eight yards and go. That's what he does yeah. best. Yeah, give me 12 of 20 for 210 yards, and I'm fine. Like, to your point, I think that's a, that's a sweet spot, right? If he runs for 75 or 100 yards, which it seems like he does every week, uh, you know, and, and throws for 200, I mean, that's a that's a great stat line. I'll take that all day. That means he's feeding guys. Hopefully, you know, we're getting guys open. You mentioned SMU. Uh, a lot of familiarity there, though. So, Rhett Lashley, their head coach, basically was on Malzahn's staff forever at, at a bunch of different, uh, you know, stops after that as well was his uh, high school quarterback when uh, Melzahn coached at high school. So th these staffs know each other really well. Curious to see what Gus dials up this week, uh, you know, playing somebody that who's going to know his offense inside and out. Do you see funny, tricky, wrinkly Gus? Do you see, um, you know, pretty standard Gus? SMU's rushing defense is not fantastic either. TCU gashed them last week. Um, what do you think? Does Gus overcorrect, I guess, is the question on this week, uh, this week's game plan from a passing standpoint? No, I think you, you got to just keep running the ball. That's the type of team we are. We are a running team. You got to mix in a couple of passes here and there, but we start by running the ball down their throats. And remember, this is the one o'clock game on Sunday. It's going to be hot for these guys. If we start this game out with a 20 play drive, running the ball down their throat, 
it's going to wear off. It's going to wear on them come the end of the game. So that's part of the strategy. Um, you know, Gus, he, he's thrown in some tricky plays so far. He, he threw a play this week where the O'Keefe threw it back to Plumley. I mean, if he throws a decent ball, that's a touchdown, probably at least the first down. Plumley is wide open. So we've seen Gus trying to throw a couple of tricky things in here and there. I wouldn't be surprised if he has one or two of those up his sleeve again this week. You called this a must win. Why? Conference game against one of the top contenders in the conference. I mean, you can maybe lose uh, to Temple and it won't hurt you as much because they're not going to be in the running. That, that tiebreaker doesn't matter. If you lose to Temple and you beat everybody else, you have one loss in the conference, you could probably still get in. You lose to this team, SMU, that's going to be competing with the top two, three, four spots in this conference. Uh, you don't want to have a, them have the tiebreaker on you. That's going to make a big difference later in the year. So, and I, I even texted you Saturday night. Hey, it was good. East Carolina lost to Navy, mm-hmm. right? Because what if we lo- go in and lose to East Carolina, but they lose somewhere else down the road, all of a sudden they have that extra loss. So yeah, I'm already looking at the standings at, and conference play hasn't even started for us like that. So uh, I think that's the kind of year this is going to be. I think we, we might be a two, three loss team in conference and still maybe have a shot to get in the championship game the way the other teams have been playing too. Nobody's been playing great in this conference. Yeah, right now your overall conference leader is Memphis. They're 1-0, Mike. They beat Navy, and Navy 1-1 one one having beat East Carolina. Uh, but uh, Memphis, Cincinnati, Tulane, and UCF are the only teams with three wins overall at this point. But again, those are non-conference wins. That doesn't help. But I, mean, I agree. I think this is a this is a tricky you know uh, start to conference play. Again, familiar opponent. Uh, and this is payback. Quadric Bullard said he was annoyed at that SMU game last year. Uh, you know, Gus talked about it at his press conference, how SMU basically just just got after him and, and beat him handily. So Sunday, I guess, 1 o'clock, it should be uh, should be a good one to uh, to see how UCF stacks up. But before we get uh, too ahead of ourselves, Mike, let's look back. Let's go back through the Georgia Tech game. Let's hand out our category awards. Again, we hand out an award. If you did well, it's named after a good bowl game. If you didn't do so well, it's named after a bad bowl game, Mike. I'll let you lead off as always. Uh, where do you want to go first with your category awards? Peach. I usually always try to start off with the positive here. We go to the Peach, and you, you would have told me that before the season started that I was giving out Peaches to this unit. Uh, I would be ecstatic because I didn't see it coming, and even the first couple of weeks I didn't see it coming. But the special teams, special mm. teams overall, congratulations, guys. They think They've gotten this thing fixed up. And it all starts with the kicker, Colton Boomer, coming in four for four on field goals, 21, 31, 37, 43 yards. He hit his one extra point perfect on the day. And you see the confidence in this kid. You see the confidence in me when this kid comes out <laughs> on the field. I feel like these are points, right? Every time I see him come out there, I say, all right, we got three. We're getting three at least. Didn't have that feeling early on in the season. Didn't have this feeling for a while now here with our kicking situation. So great job out of Boomer, first two games. Mitch McCarthy, remember his first name this week. Mitch McCarthy, good job punting. Three punts. He averages 43.7. He hit a long of 54, and he puts one inside the 20. I mean, that's a good job. No touchbacks. Good job out of McCarthy. And then, of course, the play of the game, in my opinion, on special teams. Quadric Buller scores a touchdown on Jarvis Ware's block punt. You know, we're down 7-6 at the time. It's late in the first half. It's uh, about 35 seconds to go in the first half when we get this play to take the lead. And that play changed the entire game. From then on, I was not even worried for a second that we were going to win this game. So special teams overall, fantastic. couple little things you want to fix up. Johnny Richardson on a kickoff return. 
stopping at the goal Again? line. And, That's and the second. He did that last year. If you, he did this freshman year a few times. <laughs> yeah, they got to get. I mean, that can't happen. What happens if he gets tackled? Actually, it turned out I, when he started going, I was like, oh man, maybe this was like he. That would have been a fantastic deep. highlight if he had right? broke that one for a touchdown. Yeah. Sometimes the defense sees him stop, and maybe they stop running, and then he goes. I thought that was going to happen, but he got back up to the twenty-five. If you do a blunder like that, you have to at least get it back to where you were going to get with the, uh, the, yeah, the, the, whatever. <laughs> well, and the uh, the two returns on net from um, from Georgia Tech, seventy yards, thirty-five yard average. That's not good. So the two little things on special teams, you clean that up. But the rest of the special teams, very very good. Yeah, I mean, the, that Quadric Bullard uh, second punt block uh, of the season. Um, I think Jarvis Ware got the block, but Bullard got the recovery. Uh, that was a game changer, right? He gets in the end zone. Obviously, UCF badly needed a jolt at that point. Um, you know, the offense obviously was was sputtering on, along a little bit. Uh, and, and that was a huge, huge jolt. Puts UCF on top, and, and we never looked back at that point. Uh, and you're right that the kicking game, particularly uh, on both sides of uh, the, the both the punt and the and the, the place kicking, has solidified. McCarthy had a bit of an interesting punt. One of one of his wasn't as stellar as the others, but um, you know his his you know, long of 54, uh, which which was good. Um, we'll see how that how that works out. He, again, he's a rugby style, so we're rolling him out, Mike. I'm curious how that will play from a special team standpoint as uh, as it goes on. But it's it's been a, it's been a journey with with our special teams. Brian Blackman, if you're listening, we're, we apologize. You're back in our good graces, my friend. <laughs> yeah, as long as they're not costing us games and now they're contributing to the wins or maybe even the reason for the win. We don't win this game without these special teams plays. That I just mentioned the four field goals, the block. That's the whole that's all our points. That's all our points in the day. So um, great job at the special teams. Keep it up and uh, keep it moving for next week. All right, I'm going to go with a peach as well, Mike, and I'm going to give my peach to one Traymon Morris Brash. Three tackles, one and a half tackles for a loss, one sack, two fumble recoveries, also 104 yards in uh, recovery yards, I guess. I don't know if all those count. I'm not sure how you do that, Mike, but he came up with a couple of big plays, a couple of big sacks. Uh, you mentioned the D-line really kind of holding their own. Um, and Trayvon Morris Brash, he's a guy we've been waiting to break out. We've been asking when's, when's his time going to come. We see flashes of this from time to time, uh, but he was all over the field, um, you know, on, on Saturday against Georgia Tech. Uh, it was clear when, when he's when he's able to go when he's got the the motor revved high. I mean, he's tough to block. He was getting through and, and getting pressure on Sims throughout the day. And again, that fumble recovery, while it didn't really work out from a touchdown perspective, it flips the field at least. So I guess there's some positive out of that too. Uh, but he lived in the backfield for a long time. We had, you know, Traymond Morris Brash was selected by our audience as like the breakout player and the MVP of the league. You and I are at league of uh, the team. You and I both kind of raised an eyebrow a little bit. I'm not sure that he's the MVP of the league or the, of the team. Again, I did. Uh, but is he the is he the breakout player on defense so far? Does this does this performance help that? I don't know, but he was definitely fantastic on Saturday. Happy to give him my peach award for this week. Great game on Saturday. He did it all. That play though, that drove. I know that drove you nuts when it happened because you told me how much it drove you nuts. I did. Um, <laughs> but it's like a 70 yard loss. But they get the ball, the first down, and then two plays later, they're back at midfield anyway. It, it, it sucks, but I mean the play itself was great until the very end. And Traymond Morris Brash had a hell of a day. You know he made a big stop on a fourth down there too when they're close by the goal line. So uh, very well deserved game out of him. He's the guy now. He's got to be consistent. He has he hasn't. We've seen flashes. We've we've seen games like this out of him before. Yes. Yep. Do it again. Follow it up with another game against SMU. But so far so good out of him. 
I always feel bad for him because everyone forgets that the game in 2021 against Louisville, he made that huge interception that if the things that happen afterwards don't take place, that's that's a winning play, Mike. That's the play that we probably remember. But because of everything that happened after that interception, that gets lost in history. But he's had these flashes. And, we you know, we talk to people. Obviously, we, we understand perhaps there's a there's a concern with his asthma at times. I mean, his motor can't go as long as others. Um, but if he can keep this consistency up, I'd love to see him uh, on Sunday, I guess. Uh, all over Tanner Mordecai in the backfield of SMU. If this is the tra- uh, Traymond Morris brash we're going to get, he's a senior. Um, this would be a, a really welcome addition to the UCFD line, that consistency. I don't expect he's going to get, you know, two fumble recoveries and 100 yards of return yardage, but I'll take a, you know, I'll take a sack and a couple tackles for a loss. I'll, I'll take that every day. I think he had a, a deflected pass at one point, too. It wasn't wasn't shown in the stats, but I feel like he had a deflected pass at one point, too. So Traymond Morris brash let's keep it up, my friend. Yeah, man, he's going to be a big part to this defense. If we're going to win this conference, we need him to be a breakout player or the MVP of this defense. All right, Mike, let's go to your next one. You're going to hand out a Liberty Bowl? Yeah, Liberty Bowl for the red zone defense. Red zone defense. Georgia Tech got into the red zone five times in this game. You know, remember, we opened the game with a 20-yard, 20-play drive, and we give them the – they drive the ball all the way back down to the 17-yard line themselves after that. And Devontae Brown and Jim Dattis come up with nice plays on first and second down. Devon Wilson breaks up the pass on third down, and they miss a 32-yard field goal. So that's stop number one. Good job there out of the defense. Remember, the first, last couple of games, they've been giving up touchdowns on the opening drives. So at least they got that a little bit figured out here in this game. Um, then they missed another field goal before the half when they were down in the red zone too, two times. In the third quarter, it's the 16-7 ball game. Georgia Tech marches the ball down to the 12. Morris Brash with a seven-yard sack, another one of his big plays. They give up a three-yard run, an 11-yard pass down to the five, fourth and three, stop him again on the one-yard loss, Traymond Morris Brash again. So just to highlight the, the plays you were just talking about, there he is coming through in the red zone a couple times. And then one time at the seven-yard line, they get Gene Baptiste forces a fumble. Brash again returns it all the way, and we know the story on that touchback. So a, a, a lot of great stops out of this defense in the red zone. In the fourth quarter, they did it again. Um, Salisgar this time forces a fumble at the end. Morris Brash recovers. <laughs> yeah, are you sensing a pattern here in, in the red zone for this defense and Morris Brash? Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I, I always hate the phrase, Ben, don't break, right? But that's kind of what this statistically looks like, right? I mean, the, they got into the red zone a few times and, you know, the secondary had a couple of gaps. There were a couple of guys that were running wide open. Obviously, the touchdown pass was uh, was a guy running wide open for Georgia Tech. Uh, but when they got down there, I mean, the, the defense clamped down. So I guess it technically would be Ben, don't break. But um, yeah, I think I saw a stat that we're, we're number one in the nation in red zone defense, if I saw that right. Um which is, which is, you know, obviously a huge stat. You'd, you'd like to keep him out of the red zone, but, you know, you have that confidence now, though. Mike. I mean, the same thing happened, obviously, a few games ago. You have that confidence when, you know, uh, FAU, rather, when they got they got to the red zone and we stopped them there. You're starting to get the confidence that when that happens, perhaps our defense can bow up and keep guys out of the end zone. Um, and that's, that's a really, um, I don't want to say important, but it, it's going to be a, an interesting uh, thing to monitor throughout the season. Um, you know, can we get stingier in the red zone? You know, can we can we hold teams to field goals, particularly if we're struggling and sometimes on offense? You know, the defense holding guys to field goals, holding them to you know to no points, will be huge to allow our offense to get back on the field. So, definitely a well deserved uh, well deserved honor for the uh, the D block as they call themselves. Yeah, they've done it on the goal line every game this year. They did it on the in the opener on that long fumble return when they got the ball down to the two. Louisville, they had a couple stops there late in the game when you needed it the most. 
the FAU goal line stop after the field and then blocked the field goal. And then this week, 0 for 5 in the red zone. I mean, that's great defense right there. And they only got, what, one field goal out of it? You know? And the other touchdown they had was a long touchdown. So uh, you got to give those guys credit. All right, back-to-back peaches for me, Mike. And this is probably one not everyone's going to love, but I'm going to give a peach out to the running attack. Look, we bagged on the on the on the, obviously the passing attack, Mike, but uh, 284 net yards of rushing for the offense. Plumley uh, nets 100. RV Harvey 73. Bowser 70. Richardson 33. And I specifically really like RJ Harvey getting more carries, Mike. He got 12 carries. Um, 15 yards on a long 6.1 average. He's got some burst. He's got some size. He's got some speed. You know, he kind of, you know, hits the hole a little bit. He reminds me a little bit of like a, like a bigger Greg McCray. Like, you know what I mean? Like where he gets in the hole, he he makes a a guy move, makes a guy miss, but he's not afraid to lower his shoulder. I love getting him in there a little bit more change of pace. Obviously he's nowhere near as big as Bowser, but he's kind of like a tweener in between Jay Rich and Bowser, right? Like he's got Bowser's, you know, uh, I guess ability to try to lower his shoulder and run guys over because he's a pretty thick dude, but he's got, you know, Jay Rich's size. So I think he's a, he's a good change of pace, but uh, between Harvey, Bowser, Richardson, and Plumley, again, 280 yards plus rushing. I know we want to throw the ball a little bit. It would be helpful if we could, but clearly the running game was working. Uh, I like this new three-headed monster, four if you add in Plumley. Um, I think that could be a good recipe. We talked about Bowser maybe you know, not having you know his, his full step. Uh, Gus says that's coming soon. 19 carries, 71 yards. Um, so not the not the best output for that. But again, with Plumlee, with Harvey Richardson um, providing additional context, over 280 rushing yards. You can't really bat an eye at that, Mike. I know we probably would have thrown some passing yards in there if we want to. But overall rushing attack, I'll give a peach. RJ Harvey looked good. He looked quick. I didn't expect him to be that quick. He, I know you say he's a thick guy. I don't know how much he's he weigh. Probably over 200 pounds, but he's short. Over 200. Yeah. He's, he's like, like five, five eight, like 205. Eight. Yeah. He, he's a short, stocky guy, low center of gravity. Those guys are a pain in the ass to tackle. And when he's as quick as he is, you know, you can see him doing some damage back there. Kind of reminds me, remember Jonathan Davis? Yeah. He was a little running back, and then they turned him to linebacker. Uh, but he was another guy. I think he was no more than 5'9". Just powerful runners, quick. Um, I, I like his style. Bowser, we got to get going. I think we got to keep beating him. I, I know maybe – I mean, we did run the ball a lot, but uh, the quarterback's taking a lot of those runs too, so – um, I wonder how much that hurts his rhythm a little bit. Overall, though, very good job on the ground. Johnny still looks good. Uh, just hold on to the ball, right? And we had a fumble in this game. It was, uh, was uh, Plumley though. Yeah, we got it back. Yep. But um, yeah, that, that's the only thing we can't have. It's turnover. So as long as these guys are moving the chains, I like the and, and it's helping the defense. I mean, we talked about it for years. Maybe this is a big part of why the defense is playing so well in the second halves of these games and in the fourth quarter because they're fresh. And I, I think I mentioned it last week on the same on the show, the same thing that, that that plays a big factor instead of coming out there in the fourth quarter and you've been on the field for 85 snaps. You know, so I think that all goes hand in hand. Complimentary football, as an old one of our friends used to say. Well, especially if we could keep rotating these running backs in and they're fresh, right? So if a defense has to contend with Plumley, you know, holding the ball and, and pulling it and running, got to contend with Bowser and, and his side, his ability to knock somebody over. You, you mentioned Harvey. He's a bit shifty, but he can knock a guy over. Jay Rich is just straight speed. We're probably going to throw one of those, you know, jet sweeps into O'Keefe at some point. If you can keep mixing up the rushing attack, have the defense guessing and keep getting fresh bodies in there that can get 70, 75 yards, you know, between two or three of them. I and mean, that's a recipe for, for a win, both on on the offensive side and the defensive side. Again, the only critique would be we have to be able to make sure that 
teams can't sell out against the run and just start stopping us that way because we have no threat to throw the football. But overall, Mike, I will, I'll see the rushing attack. Although again, not everyone's fan favorite this week. Um, it's a peach for me. You, uh, you're up last, uh, category for you is what a, uh, cure bowl for the attendance of this week's game. Oh dear goodness. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, for a couple of reasons, one, they announced it at 44,220. Right. And that's basically a sellout. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> right. So let's not be like the cows, please. Let's not be like these other schools that announce it. Announce what it is. And it wasn't like a horrible crowd. It wasn't embarrassing. It's not like you watch the Miami game and there's nobody there or the cow game and it's completely empty. The home side of the stadium looked completely full. Right. And the shots that I saw. Uh, Cabana, you, I know people are standing at the tops and they're standing in the, in the bar in the middle, but it was still a little light in the cabana and then the sides and the student section. Where were these people this week? The, <laughs> the crowd looked weak. I, I think there's no more than 32,000 at that place on, on Saturday. Uh, what are the excuses? That it was too hot? The game was at four. It's not a one. Mm-hmm. You thought last week was hot. Wait until this week. One o'clock. It's going to be blazing. Right. Another reason why they shouldn't be playing it at that time. But uh, what are the excuses for the uh, – was it the opponent? I mean, we're talking about an ACC school. Ten years ago, we would have killed to have Georgia Tech come to campus or any time. This is the first time ever they came to Orlando. We played them four times in, in Atlanta. So that, that can't be the excuse. And Georgia Tech's a close school where you know people from Atlanta could drive down. So it should have been packed. It should have been completely full. It wasn't. A little disappointing. Uh, the atmosphere was a little bit lacking. I guess it was a little hot for these people. I mean, Georgia Tech sucks, so perhaps their fans didn't want to make the trip down to Orlando. And maybe our fans are like, oh, even though, to your point, it's an ACC team, we're going to beat this team pretty handily, so no reason for us to be there. I guess those are two options. Yeah, weather and heat always play a factor. Um, You know, they were showing a lot of crowd shots in the second half. They kept showing the Colton Boomer field goals on that that south uh, end zone side. They kept showing the wide shot, which you could see the scoreboard, and then nobody underneath the scoreboard on on the north end zone side. I think that was... Um, second half stuff, maybe people, you know, went after it after tailgate left at a halftime because they were frustrated. I don't know, but we have to continue to find ways to pack the stadium. Like, I mean, I know each week it's a new, a new section gets targeted, right? One week it's the cabana, one week it's the club and it's the student section, you know, seat packs, whatever the issue is. I have no idea, but at some point we've got to find a consistent way to, to make sure people are in the bounce house. And there's probably more than we, than we realize. And I'm sure there are certain games, certain pockets, but you know, People keep asking all the time about expand the stadium. Well, I mean, it's tough to make that argument when you see, you know, week after week, you see empty section after empty sections around the play. So um, maybe opponent, I guess I'll give a pass because maybe if people thought we were going to be Georgia Tech and if I'm Georgia Tech, I didn't want to go to Jeff Collins's funeral. So maybe I didn't travel down for that. But hopefully with us, with a, I guess with a standard SMU game, that crowd, your point was already sold out. Um, we'll see what it, what it uh, turns out to be if they play it on Sunday, but. I would have loved to have seen some more butts in the seats. I can I can give you that. Georgia Tech doesn't turn on as many people in this area as what Iowa State is going to in the Big 12. Are you telling me more people? I understand that game has more implications because it's a conference game, but uh, people are going to be excited to see Kansas State come to Orlando. More oddly enough, are they are fans? You mean? Yeah, probably the first time through. Maybe it depends on their record. 
Right. I, I think I think a lot of that depends on the record, right? I, I think if it's a, you know, uh, or if it's a revenge game, like we've beaten Georgia Tech handily, um, I think it depends on the record, the prestige of the school at that moment in time, um, and probably our our record or their record, um, and if there's any revenge factor involved. Well, the people that were at this game this week did see history. I believe this is the first time we've beaten a, a G5 school twice, or P5 school twice. Right, Georgia Tech, I think, is the only one. We've got a lot of wins over a bunch of them now. Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, uh, you know, NC State, a whole bunch of them. But this is the first one I think we've beaten two times. Wow. I'll have to fact check that. I believe you, but that's interesting. Well, all right. I'm fact. <laughs> all right. I'm going to give out a book. I forget which one's worse, Kira Boca. I always do. I mix this up. I'm, I'm going to give a book out. They're both bad. bad. My bo- I'm just going to call this missed opportunities, Mike. Gus said in his press conference, he said there were seven plays that he thinks we could have scored on. I don't know what all seven of those were. I assume he saw different tapes than I saw. But I've got a few things here, Mike, that were just maddening to me. Let's start with the first drive of the game. 20 plays. Georgia Tech gives us three penalties on third or fourth down. Just basically says, hey, we'll jump off sides. Here you go. They give us yards. They give us yards. We ground out a bunch of yards. 20-play drive. 71 yards, nine minutes, 47 seconds, and we can only muster a field goal. All that effort, all that work, you know, Georgia Tech at that point is probably hands on hips, giving up, and a couple of play calls down at the goal line there didn't make a lot of sense. We go in with a field goal. Okay, fine. We're up three nothing. We're good, right? Let's come back a few plays later, you know, a few drives later. John, John Rice Plumbly has a wide open Kamori Gamble on his left. He has another receiver. I think it was O'Keefe streaking down on the right sideline and literally just throws a jump ball to the middle of the field, picked off by Georgia Tech. I have no idea who he was throwing that to. He had multiple receivers open. Uh, you know, if he, if he dumps that thing down to Gamble, he probably runs for another 20, 25 yards. We're in position to, you know, maybe set up for a field goal or going for a touchdown. A terrible read by him. Everybody after the game said he just misread it, didn't have the right read at all. I have no idea what he was looking at on that one. No one really described it. That's a huge miss. You mentioned this other play. This was another one. Johnny Richardson, wide open, Mike, wide open. You said he did run for days. He didn't have to run for days because we were on the 13. <laughs> he only had to run 13 yards and we had a touchdown wide open by himself with his speed, with the green grass in front of him. That's another touchdown at that point. I was third and four on Georgia Tech's 13. We can't convert that throw. Boomer comes in with a field goal. Obviously he makes it, which is great, but a wide open Johnny Richardson who was visibly frustrated. I thought Johnny Richardson was going to go full quadrio Barsky on, on Plumlee on the sideline. He was, he was visibly frustrated at how open he was. And doesn't get the ball. And then finally, the one that drove me literally to have another seltzer. Traymond Morris Brash, hot dogging it down the sidelines, huffing and fin. You know, three, four guys come run with him, the convoy into the end zone, including Devod Wilson. And all they're doing is staring at Trayvon Morris Brash. They're getting ready to celebrate. He probably could have protected the ball a little bit better, Mike. I'll give him that. But that's on Devod Wilson, man. He was the closest to him. If he trips, just literally trips over his shoelace and falls, that's a touchdown. If he sneezed, that guy would have stopped. It would have been a touchdown. He had to do anything other than what he did, which was nothing. And Tremont Moore's brash probably reaches that across the goal line. Again, he probably could have put it in the other arm, probably could have held it a little bit longer. But he's got like four guys who all saw this guy coming, and we were all too busy trying to celebrate at the three-yard line as opposed to scoring the touchdown. That was a maddening play. Missed opportunities, missed opportunities, missed opportunities, missed opportunities. Mike, that's my Boca goal for the week. They didn't see the guy coming. That's the problem because they weren't looking at him. And they're too busy peacocking down the sideline, as you like to say. No one turns around and be like, hey, here's a Georgia Tech guy screaming right at us. 
Wilson, this is on Wilson. I mean, he's right there. All he has to do is if he just turns his head and sticks his arm out. That's it. Yes. <laughs> it's a touchdown. I'm convinced uh, if he sneezed that the guy would have like been startled and like stopped back for just a millisecond. That's really all we needed was a millisecond. <laughs> yeah, that, that play drove me absolutely nuts. You said, should I tell everybody what you said? You said something, you wanted Devon Wilson arrested. I did, yeah. I did want him charged <laughs> with whatever the penalty would be for something like that. Such oh, an easy play, Mike. Oh, my goodness. That, that's that's the thing about really quick. That's the thing before we, you know, we, we talked about the 27, 10 people frustrated. I mean, there are, there are at least two other touchdowns in ju- what I just said right there. Johnny Richardson scores easily. A plumbing can throw the ball to him and Terry Morris brash scores easily. If that happens right now, I guess one thing impacts another, who knows, but you could tack another 14 points onto that 27. If both of these plays hit the way they're supposed to. So I get the frustration overall, but there were opportunities and that's probably the frustration but there are opportunities to put more points on the board for sure. And throw in the Kobe Hudson drop in the end zone. There's another four mm-hmm. points that we, we missed out on. So, yeah, this this game, I know it didn't look good, but really it wasn't as close as the score in, indicated either because I was comfortable throughout this whole game. I felt fine even in the first half when we weren't playing well. I thought we would pull away in the second half. And once they blocked the punt going into the half, I thought for sure we were going to win. In the second half, we come out, and, and when we added it and we made it a two-score game, I was there's no point in the second half where I thought, oh crap, we could actually lose. Right. So uh, overall, a win is a win. We take it, we move on to the next week. Um, and that's it. That's why I'm not that's why I wasn't complaining about it on Saturday. Yeah, look, the net net of it, your perspective is actually probably the right one. We won the game. Sometimes you have to win games ugly. Uh, that's just the way football works, right? Not everything's gonna be pretty. Yeah, you so, have to win games ugly. How many of yeah. those games were ugly? All of them. at memphis the the temple game at smu at the end of the year the cow game they were they were all come down to the end and and not of all not all because they were two good playing teams playing like against louisville a lot of times those were bad teams that we struggled against and everybody still refers to that season as one of the two best seasons of all time yeah you gotta win ugly you gotta win pretty you gotta win doing everything at this point i'll go three and one for the knights i mean this is you know if we had said after the first four games were three and one we probably would have all been like okay i guess louisville you know got us again i think that's a game we were all a little bit concerned about our confidence ratings going into that one were uh were surprising but again a big one coming up here uh sunday ish maybe that's about house, mike but that wraps up ucf 27 georgia tech 10 we're gonna take a break here we'll come back we got some more fun stuff we'll do i don't even know picks we'll do translator we'll do headlines it's all coming up soon don't go anywhere we're sponsored by gordon and partners this is ucf head football coach gus miles on and you should listen to the sons of ucf like your hair is on fire go knights and charge on all right, before we get to some of this other fun stuff, Mike, let's do our Take It to the House moment of the week. Again, this is brought to you by our good friends at Urban Nooks. If you want the real scoop on the real estate market, call someone you can trust, a fellow knight who's been selling real estate for almost a decade, Drew Bellani. He's helped a lot of knights. They buy, they sell, they invest in real estate across Night Nation. There's a, it's a look. The market's out there. It's, it's changing. You don't know who to work with, but it's important that you find someone you trust. And that is our friend Drew Bellani, a two-time alum, a shareholder, a volunteer, and a swell guy all around, Mike. Drew Bellani and Urban Nooks, they can help you out. 407-456-3226. Give Drew a call. He'll answer all your real estate needs. Tell him you heard about him on the Suns UCF, by the way. So he'll be extra special. Nice to you. Um, but those guys do a great work uh, over at Urban Nooks. I use them personally, actually, for a place I live in now. So I can attest that Drew is a, a great resource. So 
This is the ticket to the house moment of the week, Mike, and it's got to be none other than who? Quadric Bullard. I mean, the block punt, Jarvis Ware with the block, Bullard running in down the sideline, the play of the game, and one of the only touchdowns we scored. So <laughs> we had a 50-50 chance, and this was obviously the ticket to the house moment of the game. Again, Urban Nooks is where you want to go. 407-456-3226. Talk to Drew Balani, Mike. This week, the Orlando media talked to one Gus Malzahn. And he says a lot of stuff, although he says nothing at the same time. That's why we're here. We have the translator. And we're going to play what Gus said. And then we're going to tell you what he really mean, meant to say. Because we all know coach speak. We all know that there's all hidden messages. The translator has that covered, Mike. So I'm going to start off with this first clip of Gus. This is Gus on entering uh, conference play and kind of his mindset right now. Yeah. You know, right before conference play, you kind of always catch your breath. We're three and one. Uh, you know, obviously the the one loss was a game that we had an opportunity to win. Uh, I really think we're getting better as a team. Matter of fact, I know we're getting better as a team. Our special teams are starting to come on. Our kickers, you know, kicking situations starting to be solidified. Uh, return game, you know, we're we're very close, and so I think we're in a good spot. You know, entering uh, conference play. All right, Mike. He's uh, thanks for a good spot. What does that mean? Everything looked good except the offense. You notice the offense is the only thing I didn't mention there. The special teams has turned it around. The defense has been great all year. Even the return guys are doing their thing now. The offense, we'll get it rolling. I'm an offensive guru. I'm an offensive genius. Don't worry. I got these things figured out. I'm going to get Plumlee moving the ball, and we're going to be a contender in this conference. We're going to be there at the end of the year. My favorite part is he said, I think we're good. I know we're getting better. Like he first, he thought they were getting better. Then he wanted to make sure that he told you, uh, you know, he knows they're getting better. And I think you're actually right. You know, Gus is going to accentuate the positive, right? He's going to tell you all the things are doing well. He's not going to tell you the things are not doing well. Obviously, offensively, I think he knows it's a struggle. Um, you know, similar to how every week he tells me the line is five guys who are playing together for the first time ever. And, and he tells me that John Rice Plumley hasn't played quarterback for two years. Uh, uh, certainly I like how he brings in, Hey, by the way, we're three and one. Just so, I don't know if you guys all know this. I know you guys all are yelling and screaming at me. You don't think I can coach, but we are three and one. I like how he throws in the bona fides, the bona fides to make sure people understand how, how good a coach he is. And the one we, we should have, the one loss we should have won. We only lost by a little bit. I think I throw that in there. Yeah. It's gotta do it. All right, Mike, let's talk about, uh, we talked about drops, receivers not catching the football. Gus had some thoughts on that too. Uh, hitting the plays when they're available. Um, you know, and it, it all works together. You know, in the passing game, I know everybody, all the quarterback and all this, but I think we've had 14 or 15 drops this year to be fair. And so we got to do a better job around him. And um, so we're working hard to do that. All right, Mike, <laughs> 14 or 15 drops, according to Gus. Yeah, it wasn't my quarterback's fault. I mean, <laughs> I picked the right quarterback, guys. The guy's putting the guy, ball in these guys' hands. You can't drop them. 15, 16 drops already in four games. Uh, that's going to kill us. And it's already killed us on the scoreboard. So these guys need to get their act together and help my boy out, make me look good. If these things are completions and touchdowns, nobody's questioning my decision anymore. Listen, he's not wrong. Doesn't help when the, when, when passes are dropped, but that was a really interesting comment. Cause it, essentially, I, I think he actually literally said what you just said, which was, Hey, we got to help this guy a little bit. I mean, he's out there throwing the football. If we can catch it better, we, we'd be, we'd be much better. I get that, you know, you, you want, you know, want these guys to catch the football and they've had some bad drops, but I feel like he could have, you know, that, that early part of the question wasn't about drops. He took it to the drop part. Uh, I found that one really, really interesting. I'm curious to see how that one plays in the wide receiver room, a wide receiver room that had a total of uh, 
uh, of eight catches last week. Uh, actually, to take that back, the wide receivers had a total of three catches last week. Baker with one, O'Keefe with two. The other five were by running backs or tight end. So curious how that plays in the uh, receiver room this week. Kobe Hudson, no receptions against uh, South Carolina State, right? Didn't play Louisville. No receptions the last two weeks. You got one last week? No, nothing. he is not happy. Nothing. He he was uh he had a what nagging he had a oh, nagging yeah. thing for two weeks in a row, right? So he didn't play Louisville or FAU. Nothing in the opening game, and uh, a gift wrap touchdown that he drops. Right. So <laughs> get your chance, make it count. Um, O'Keefe, we have seen drop passes. Everybody, it, that stuff's contagious too. I think once one guy drops it, then I'm like, oh boy, here we go. We're gonna see like four or five more of these because it just seems to be a contagious thing among receivers. Uh, but when they're making spectacular plays, that could be the same thing too, the other way. But, um, yeah, we got to help Plumlee out, man. I mean, when he, when he puts it there, you got to catch him. That, that, that is the bottom line. I know a lot of times he doesn't put it there and then you can get on him for that. You know, the, the, the interception he had at FAU was disgusting. And the one they had this week was no good either. So I understand the criticism there, but when he puts it there, these guys got to help him out. We all blamed former wide receiver coach, Daryl Wyatt. Maybe he wasn't the problem, Mike. Maybe we owe him an apology. Um, yeah, I guess I, how much of these coaches really, they're all, all these wide receiver coaches are doing the same drills in practice, right? They're all telling these guys the same thing. I don't think one is coming up with new stuff that nobody else has ever heard of. So it's not really his fault. It's focused during the game and keeping your eye on the ball. Basically is as simple as it is not trying to run with the ball before you get it. That's probably the main issue we have here. Well, I also do wonder how much the chemistry between, you know, Plumlee and the receivers is a challenge, right? We know there was a quote unquote competition during the entire fall practice, splitting reps at times, you know, with these guys not beginning uh, a chance to build as much chemistry with each other. So are they, are they new sort of from a receiver perspective? I joked earlier, but there are, I guess there are situations where balls can spin differently off a of quarterback's hands, the way they, they throw, the way they rotate. Maybe there is just something to the receivers have to adjust to plumbing. That seems really silly. You would think they could figure that out, the receivers. But maybe there is something technically there. I guess I'd be curious if, you know, we, we have, I think we have an expert coming up on Thursday on the live show. We can, we can ask him, you know, what does that, what does that look like? Because it feels like, to your point, these things are right in their hands and yet they're, they're not dropping. But you see silly drops every week. CD Lamb literally had one in his pocket that he just threw to the ground against the Giants. I mean, it, it's, it's a thing, I guess. I guess my, my layman's, uh, like the CD Lamb thing I'll talk about because I saw that. I feel like receivers don't get their hands in the right position anymore. Like if you and, and this is not UCF, but CD Lamb literally kept his hands like at his waist and was trying to catch the ball there versus like high pointing the ball, putting your hands up, you know, trying to trying to grab it in. I know Kobe Hudson didn't have that same issue, but I think I think O'Keefe had the drop against Boca where he sort of had his hands waist high. Maybe it's the the plane of which Plumlee's throwing the ball, and that's the only spot they can put their hands. I just wonder if there's something in the chemistry with the receivers in Plumlee. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're just <laughs> okay, all right, searching for answers here. Right? <laughs> we're all frustrated with the whole passing thing. Um, it's a little bit of everybody's fault, like like I said before. I, I don't think it has anything to do with the the way it spins off. You know, it, the ball's in the air. I just catch it, right? It, it's not like he's not throwing spirals. It's not like he's throwing end over end passes to him. You know, they're catchable balls. Catch them. These guys catch balls out of machines, out of jugs machines. From left-handed quarterbacks, right-handed quarterbacks, it doesn't even matter. It's just a game time. I, you know, it's not just a game time thing because even in the in the preseason, when Gus when uh, Trace was coming out with these clips, a couple of them I saw, I saw wide receivers dropping the balls all over the place back then too. So uh, this has got to be a focus issue or something with these kids. 
All right. Well, thanks for poo-pooing my entire theory on this, Mike. But like I said, there are missed opportunities. I recounted all of them for you, but Gus had to talk about it too. Yeah. Yeah. There was quite a few points, possibilities left on the table. You know, that was probably the most frustrating, frustrating thing. We were, there were seven, seven specific plays that I think we could have got some points on that we didn't. And so that was the frustrating thing. But really, when that happens, I mean, you got to, we got to coach these guys better. I mean, that's the way I look at it. So, uh, you know, yeah, the good thing was we rushed for 285 yards. That was really good. All right, Mike, uh, that's what Gus uh, had to say about the missed opportunities. What do you make of that? He didn't say we got to coach these guys better. You really, these guys got to play better. I put them in position to have more points. Seven plays, we left points on the field. So these guys got to do a better job of executing my play calls because if they just did that, We'd win this game by 40 points instead of 20 points. So, um, you know, this is the players need to straighten up. The coaches are putting them in their best position to win these games. We know what we're doing back here. Now they got to go execute. I just think it's great that if we scored those other, I assume we didn't score on the, on those plays at all. We would have won that game 76 to 10, <laughs> like another 49 points on the scoreboard. Uh, that would have been fantastic. But I, that that's the challenge is we left things on the, on the, on the field, right? We left plays on the field. We left points on the field. We can get away with it at Georgia Tech, but at a close game like an SMU, like a Cincinnati, to your point, on the road, ECU, Tulane, you know, Memphis, you, you can't leave points on the field like that, especially when you have uh, golden opportunities to do something like that. Sure, I, I guess as a coach, sometimes you go, ah, if we make this one block, this guy springs free, right? You can do all that stuff, and there's probably some nuance that you and I don't see because we don't watch tape that closely. But easy plays like like. Chairman Morris Brash, easy plays like throwing to Jay Rich, easy plays like not throwing interception over the middle of the field. Those are ones that really kill you. And I think that's where, you know, Gus always talks about making the corrections and we got to be better and we have a lot of information. Let's hope he's got some information on how to not do that stuff again. But good news is we played this way and we still won and we still won by 17 points here. (laughs) I mean, how many teams would have traded places with us on Saturday? I mean, we could have easily played the same exact game we played and lost by, by 10 points. And we all would be well-deserved in all of the criticism we put out there. But we won. So that, that, that's just the way it is for this game. Uh, I'm ready to put it back in there. And, and, and it showed that the defense can step up and do their mm-hmm. job when they need to. When the offense, How many times we ask? Hey, if the offense is not put, doing it that day, you know, they're, they're at least putting field goals through. They're putting some points on there. The defense is the strong point of this team. And now the special teams to go along with it. We can win a lot of games this way. And we won a lot of games this way under George O'Leary. He was there. This was an old-fashioned George O'Leary game. Maybe we did it because he was in the stands. You know, we were running the ball and playing defense. So we've won championships that way. They're not as much fun as the uh, UCF fast Scott Frost offense and the Hypo offense. I get it. But it's an effective way to win football games. That's just the era of win right now. It's got to be edibles. That's, that's the only answer to what's going on with UCF, Mike. All right, we got one more on the Gus Malzahn translator. As we turn the page to SMU, obviously Gus knows SMU a little bit. So what did he think about playing the Ponies this week? Okay, uh, have SMU coming to town. Uh, last year they got after us uh, really good. It was an extremely tough loss. They got a lot of their guys coming back. Um, you know, this staff I know very well. Uh, they, they know us really well too uh ought to be a good game uh and one that we're looking forward to all right they got after us they know the staff looking forward to the game like what does that mean these guys kicked our ass last year <laughs> and i had to watch the stupid game from a stupid table behind the bench which <laughs> had me all discombobulated for this game i didn't know what the heck was going on 
this year is different. This year is at home. This is a very important game for us to start off the conference play. We have to come out here playing our best football. We got to get co corrected on offense what we did last week, but the defense continues to do what they are doing all year. I like our chances in this game. I'm going to be at least on the sidelines, so I'm going to feel more comfortable. I'm going to get a better feel for the game myself. And I, I think we're going to come out of it here with a win on Saturday or Sunday now. Or Sunday. Uh, well, obviously, um, so Gus knows Rhett Lashley's offense. Rhett Lashley knows Gus, Gus's offense. Travis Williams obviously knows uh, Rhett Lashley's offense a little bit. So I'm curious to familiarity how that works out. Memphis, like two and two of the year. Uh, they they have um, non-con lo losses to Maryland, and they lost at home this past weekend at TCU. Uh, so Maryland, uh, you know, don't know if they're a great team. That's an interesting loss. Obviously, TCU is a, is a future Big 12 foe. Um, so the offense is is still there. I mean, they scored 48, 45, 27, and 34. So they, we know they can score. So UCF's going to have to keep up with them point-wise. Uh, they got a bad taste in their mouth, two straight losses. They lose this one. Like, this could be a spiral for them at, at some point, right? You might you wonder where the season goes from that because they have Navy. Then they have Cincinnati. So, I mean, this could be an interesting little matchup here for UCF. Uh, win this one. We could probably, you know, almost take SMU out of the running, uh, assuming that they lose to Cincinnati and maybe drop one more to Houston down the road because they have Houston uh, after that as well. So this is a this is a big, important one. I'd love to see, you know, teacher beat student here. I'd love to see Gus teach his old boy Rhett a, a, Rhett a lesson. Yeah, he taught him everything he knows, right? So it should be uh, no problem for Gus to figure it out this week. But these guys, what, do they have a top five passing offense in the country? Did I see that? Uh, you probably did, yeah. I mean, that sounds about right. We know what these kids, Mordecai is good, and he's got some weapons out there. Now, they haven't been great the last couple of weeks, but like you said, they're they're a wounded animal right now. They're a dangerous team coming in off two losses, and they, this is the first conference game for them. So they, they want to get things off on the right foot. And like I said, I don't really – the last thing I wanted for this season was to go into the last three weeks of the year and like, Oh, we need this team to lose or we need that team to lose or if both these teams lose. And this one ties and you know, we're back in it. No, that that's the case. If you lose these games to SMU early in the conference, we win this game. We don't have to worry about them. We have the tiebreaker on them. So, and they've got a couple other tough games. This is basically an elimination game for SMU in regards to us. So the last two games, Mike, the games they've lost, Tanner Mordecai threw the ball 54 times against um, against Maryland for 369 yards. And against TCU, he threw the ball uh, 49 times for 372 yards. So clearly, they want to throw it around the yard a little bit. They want to chuck the ball around the yard. Right. And uh, that means Morris Brash, you got to sell a scar. You got to get in and get pressure on this guy. He's not much of a runner, this Mordecai, right? He can throw it. Maybe he can get loose a little bit, but I don't, I don't know him as a running quarterback or really like a dual threat guy. How many yards did he run for the last couple of weeks? He had four yards against uh, TCU. He had 18 yards against Maryland. They played Lamar before that. I don't know if that even counts. Uh, no rushing yards on that one. See, he is a pocket passer. He's, and, you know, that means we got to collapse the pocket on him and get pressure on him. That's going to be the key to winning this game. Can the guys up front do their job? without having to bring extra pressure from the linebackers and all that. So this way, the, the, the cornerbacks and the secondaries are able to co cover these receivers because they're dangerous guys on the outside too. So uh, that's going to be the key to this game. Get to Mordecai, hit him, hit him early. And, you know, and then with us on the offensive side, keep the ball out of his hands. You know, long drives, running the ball, get, get them out of a rhythm. And that, I think that's going to be a big part of it. 
I mean, our secondary has to step up too. We gave up 314 yards passing to Jeff Sims and Georgia Tech, who is not known as a passing offense. Like we all off season, we talked about how we felt like the secondary was the strength of our defense with all the guys we had coming back. You know, Georgia Tech had some guys running open, you know, throughout the game. Now, Georgia Tech, maybe who who knows? Um, but obviously, the back end has to hold up um, pretty pretty well, especially if you're going to throw the ball around the yard a little bit. So, um, our secondary, we'll find out. I guess how good they are. We all think they're pretty good, and we have a lot of a lot of guys whose names we know. Uh, Devontae Brown, people say, is, a, is an NFL cornerback in the making. Corey Thorne's playing well. Justin Hodges playing well. We know Devon Wilson, Quadric Bullard got dinged up. We're not sure if he's healthy. I, I assume he is because he was at the press conference this week. But, um, you know, Quadric Bullard's there. So, uh, Nakam Martinez, we have the names. Uh, let's see if we can hold up against a, a, a pretty prolific offense, Mike. But you don't have to wait till Sunday now or Monday. I don't even know when. Mike and I are going to tell you what's going to happen in the game before it even happens, even though it hasn't happened. And we don't know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen. We still will tell you what's going to happen. Like, it's a fun trick we do around here. These are what Monday's headlines today now. And uh, and I'll let you kick off first. This is your your sort of prognostication of what's going to happen uh, on the game on Sunday-ish. Car Diak Knights ride past Mustangs. UCF wins overtime thriller. That's right. Buckle up, people, because I believe Jeez. this is going to be a down-to-the-last-play overtime game. And, you know, a cardiac, you get it because of the Mustangs. I had to throw that in there. But the cardiac Knights may be back. And I already threw the comparison out there to that 2013 season with that ugly win against Georgia Tech. Maybe we have a couple of these in this season. And does that make it bad? It kind of makes it a little more fun. If, if you're winning these close games and you're pulling them out, all of a sudden we're 8-1, and 9-1, and one, and we've had a classic overtime thriller against SMU. We had a battle with Cincinnati, you know, down to the wire. That – makes for a fantastic fun seasons as a fan maybe that's what we're in for maybe it's not gonna be 45 to 10 every week but hey i'm gonna enjoy it it makes you feel more alive that way right cardiac nights ride past mustangs oh i was trying to figure out what cardiac meant i was like why is he why is he hyphenating cardiac ah makes much more sense there yeah and certainly as uh, you remember i had a mustang that was my first car i do recall that mustang um yeah, look, it would be, you know, it would be great to win every game 56 to nothing, right? You can cruise in games, have a good time, put your feet up. Uh, but to your point, sports is about drama. And a lot of times your team uh, having uh, having those wins, some of the best days of our lives, you know, have been games like that. The Cow game in 17, the Memphis game in the next weekend in 17, right? Those are close games that we win kind of last second plays. Uh, so, so some of those games certainly is, helps to throw those in. As long as we play well, I think that's what everyone. If SMU is the better team, they make more plays. That's one thing. But if, if we shoot ourselves in the foot, which is what I think what people saw against Georgia Tech, that's a little bit more of the issue. But Mike's got an overtime game. When's the last time you say went to overtime? Whew, that's a good question. It's was it Memphis? Was it Memphis? The was it 2017 Memphis? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Was there one in Memphis was not overtime, right? That was the other no, regulation. No, no regulation. Uh, maybe I'm missing one here, but I don't recall one. It might have been the AAC championship game. We should uh, we should look that up, Mike. All right, so that's your first headline. Here is my first headline. Run the ponies. Knights ground game on display again. Like I think Gus is obviously um, going to game plan for what the what the opponent doesn't do well. SMU's rushing at, uh, defense is not known to be the uh, the stoutest, if you will, in the uh, in the American Conference. I think Gus will continue to dial up some run plays. 
maybe he's found something with a three-headed monster of Harvey, Bowser, and Richardson that he can leverage. We know JRP is going to at least uh, get a couple of scrambles. And even on, on non-design QB runs, he's going to break the pocket and, and pick up some yards. I think uh, we are a run first team. I think that's very clear. I think Gus will find ways to continue to run the football, hopefully uh, a little bit more efficiently than we did in a few games this year. Uh, hopefully with the threat of a pass every now and again to continue to keep that running game open. But run the ponies. I think it's a ground game again for UCF this week. We are a running team. I've been saying that from the beginning of the year. And this would be a good sign if we run the ball for over 250 yards, 300 yards. Like Again, that, I think that means we win the game. Whether we throw 10 passes or 15 passes, I mean that running the ball is going to be the key to this. And like I said earlier, keep their offense off the field. Gus, Gus would love to have a seven-minute drive to start this game. You know, Keep them off. Maybe you get it at the end of the half. You, you take it the last six minutes of there, and then you open up the next half, and you keep their offense cold on the sidelines. That's the best way to beat these high-powered passing teams. Run the ball down their throats. Play good defense. Yeah, I mean, that, that'll work, right? As long as, the, again, the passing game has to be competent enough to allow the defense to just not stack the box, right? That's really all we needed to do is just be competent, be a threat in some respects. And, and that's to your point. That's a perfect formula if the defense can hold on to, to their side of the ball as well. Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, you're going to have to complete it. And it doesn't have to be bombs and it doesn't have to be, you know, he doesn't have to throw for 300 yards, 150 yards plus uh, 175, 200 and, and, you know, good completion rate. And you're running the ball for 250, 300. I, I think we win the game that way. All right. You're up next. I didn't understand this one either, but maybe you can, <laughs> you can help me out on, on, on this headline. Just in time. Hodges interception seals victory for Knights. I don't know. That seems pretty straightforward. Justin Hodges with an interception in overtime to seal the victory. I, I already told you it was going to be an overtime game. It's the apostrophe you had at the end of the end. Yeah, I you say Justin, like, you know, not just gotcha. the name. But, you know, okay. Shooting. If, you had a hyphen, if it was just hyphen in time, I think I would have gotten it better. Okay. Because I was like, is there a car name after this? Is this a, <laughs> is this a horse joke? It, it took me a few minutes on this one. Just in time. Hodges. Interception. Um, you know, I think this is going to, like I said, and all these close games that come down to it, and a lot of times in overtime, the defense is the one that has to make the play. And we've seen it before. This is like the Trey Neal interception to win the game that we were just talking about against Memphis. Maybe Justin Hodges is the hero of this game. Um, I, I, I hope it's not a high-scoring game. If it's a high-scoring shootout, right, I think that favors SMU. I think we're comfortable winning this game if we can do it. Uh, 28-17, something like that, if, if it's not as close as I think it is, which is which would be more like 28-25. I mean, the last two games, the games that probably really matter more to SMU against Maryland and uh, TCU, Mordecai threw two picks in each of those games. So he, he did give the ball away. Maybe he's going to be prone to that. It'd be great to have someone to get their hands on one of those. Justin Hodges, I, I think, is somebody he's playing that sort of night position, that that hybrid you know, linebacker, safety, corner position. Um, I'd love a good interception, like a back-breaking, uh, game-changing style interception. Um, I'll take Justin Hodges. I'll take that all day. Yeah, you know, I've been a fan of Hodges. He's from down here in Western, Western High School. Western was a city right next to the city I grew up in and Sunrise. So always rooting for the 954 guys. I think it's time for him to start making some big signature plays. All right, here's my next one. Colt on today. Freshman kicker continues hot, hot start with three clutch field goals. Mike, obviously Colt. Get it, horse, pony, Colt, Colton Boomer, Colton Boomer. This is the this is the best revelation of my life, Mike. Because now when they're like, all right, UCF is going to sell for a field goal, 
I don't have like a mini heart attack. I'm like, okay, let's bring the kicker out. Like I don't have like heart palpitations and you know, my hands don't get sweaty and I don't need to drop to my knees and say a bunch of Hail Marys and rosaries because I feel confident this kid's going to make it. And what I loved about what he did against Georgia Tech is each field goal got a little bit longer, 21, 31, 37, 43 yards, Mike. It's been a hot minute since we had a, uh, a UCF kicker make a 43-yarder. So uh, I love the fact that we have hopefully a kicker that will be clutch, that we can count on, that when he trots on the field, you don't have an, uh, you know, an impending groan that yells from the crowd because you have confidence he's going to make it, and he has confidence he's going to make it, which is the biggest thing. <laughs> he was our offense this week and the confidence is fantastic you see it, it oozes from the kid which is great if obarski's kicking this game what's the final score same situation see, everything else plays exactly uh, the same he kicks he attempts the same four field goals and the extra point how many does he does he account for 13 points like uh no, i i'm gonna go he hits the 21 yarder and he misses the other three <laughs> and he hits the extra point yeah, I think he yeah. hits the extra points. I, I think he makes a 21-yarder, and he misses the 31, 37, and 43. All right, so this is a 15-10 final game score <laughs> in your book. Uh, yes, probably. That would have been uglier. But uh, the kid's been fantastic, man. And his very first kick at FAU, over 40 yards, another one here over 40, something that Obarski never did in four seasons. So I don't think there's any question ever again who's going out to kick these field goals for the rest of the season. Let's hope so, right? I mean, let's hope he's he's earned that. He's going to miss one, though, Michael. Let's just face reality. That's what kickers do. They're all going to miss one. It's going to happen eventually. He already missed an extra point, right? So he's going to miss one of these. Um, but And and that's it. That's the curious part is how does he respond when he does that? We kind of saw Obarski go in a bit of a tailspin and then sort of lose confidence. You know, if, if Colton does miss one of these, what's his response look like? Who knows? But at least now when he trots out there, there's not this like, oh, man, like what's going to happen now? There's a little bit, okay, all right, let's get three here. Let's over three. Like you feel like there's a, there's a high probability that thing's going in. So it's a, it's a welcome change. Hopefully we can keep the uh, the good times rolling. Mike, you have one final headline. UCF drops ponies. Morris Brash and company tally four sacks and win. We've already talked about the way Morris Brash played this past week. Uh, it's going to – I just mentioned before too, that's the key to the game. If he can get pressure – and we can sack this guy four times plus, I think we win this game going away. And now if he's sitting back there and he has all day and he can read a book back there because we can't bring anybody, then it's going to be like last week. It's going to be like last year's read game. How many points did they put up on us last year? 59 or something, whatever it was. Yeah, uh, wasn't good. This could get ugly quick. And then you're going to see the real problems of not being able to pass the ball and being a running team. That's the That's the bad thing. One, the good thing is you can control the ball. You can get these guys off the field. The bad thing is you fall behind by two, three scores to a team like this, and your only option is to run. Big trouble. So <laughs> hopefully these guys up front do what they need to do and keep us in this one. Well, you said uh, and company, and I think that and company is going to be just as important uh, as as Trayvon Morris Brash, right? Obviously, he may, he may command some double teams, additional attention, but Ricky Barber, right, Lee Hunter, uh, you know, T-Will is always good for a corner blitz. You're always going to get a Nakai Martinez, a Justin Hodges, a Corey Thornton off the edge. You know, that's that's his bread and butter. We saw Walter Yates the third with a fantastic twist stunt blitz uh, sack earlier in the game against Georgia Tech. T-Will's going to have to find a way to get pressure. I think the end company part is going to be key. But this is when you need, you know, I, I get TMB, but you need Seliscar. You need Barber. You need Hunter. You need Montalvo, right? You need Keenan Hester. You need the entire group of these boys getting, you know, getting pushed on the offensive line. You know, T will timing a good blitz, 
uh, and getting him off rhythm, uh, making him make, you know, fast, quick throws, maybe to your point, he throws one away. You get a tip pass to the line of scrimmage. You got to make the pocket ugly for him. Um, and that, I think that's, that's the end company part for sure. I think TMB could be the leader of that, but we, we need, we need all hands on deck. Like the, uh, what does Mike Tomlin say? We're not looking for hostages. We're looking for volunteers. Like we need everybody on deck here to, to really make sure that we can, uh, we can make Mordecai as uncomfortable in the pocket and to your point, get him out of the pocket, make it, make him run a little bit. Right. And, you know, he's, he's not a runner. Maybe he gets out of the pocket. He scrambles. We get a fumble. He makes a, makes a poor decision, a tip pass. You know, that's, that's what's going to make the difference in, in, in close games with good teams. So I think the end company overall is going to be huge on Sunday. <laughs> Ricky Barber. I mean, get pressure up the middle. Quarterbacks hate pressure up the middle more than anything. You can do that. Salascar, he's due for a couple of sacks here. Uh, I've said it a hundred times. That's the key to this game. Um, but the secondary also, you know, they got to do your job too. You know, it goes hand in hand. And this kid throws a couple of interceptions per game. We got to get at least one. We got to win the turnover battle. That's going to be the other one. All right. My final headline, Mike. Hurricane party. Small but rowdy crowd helps key Knights victory. Look, if, if this thing is played Sunday, to your point, it's going to be in interesting conditions. Uh, there may be folks who can't get to the game for whatever reason, uh, you know. And and I imagine there'll be a smaller condensed crowd. So for those of you who can get out there and, and it's safe and it's it's you know it's comfortable for you and your and your family with your situation, this is going to be one of those like Boise State esque crowds, Mike, where it's like, hey, do you remember that random Sunday game we had that one time due, due to Hurricane Ian? Like this is this or Ian, whatever I called it. This is the this is that kind of game where you're going to remember that you were there. So the crowd may be smaller in, in number. But I think we're going to need a crowd that's rowdy, that's excited, that's yelling, that's screaming, you know, that's active, that's engaged, that's on their feet. You kind of need that Boise State-esque crowd. Now, it may be more challenging if it's going to be a 9 million degrees outside. Who knows what the temperature will be? Maybe it's overcast that day. I don't know. But I think whatever crowd's able to get out there has to get behind UCF. So I'm going to go hurricane party. Small but rowdy crowd helps key night's victory. The guys that will be there, the, the whole crowd that will be there, are going to be the diehards, right? You're not going to get just the random guy that has nothing to do on a Saturday to agree to go to the game. This is the diehard UCF fan. There's going to be maybe not as many as we're used to, but they're going to be the loud ones that are in there. So I have confidence that the crowd will be a factor in in this game, along with the heat. I mean, again, can we move this game off on a clock? <laughs> I know this is just the first announcement. We're still a few days away. Um, anything can still change, but you're right. The crowd can... And it does suck that we're moving, we're losing a sellout because I think that would have been really cool, right? You know, three thirty Saturday sold out bright bounce house. Um, that would have been a lot of fun for a lot of people, but you know, the people that are going to be there will have fun themselves. According to my weather app, Mike, on uh, on Sunday at one o'clock, the temperature in Orlando will be eighty four degrees rising to 86 by three o'clock so that's at least right now you know the weather's unpredictable but it could be a scorcher out there uh but again we need you know the crowd's got to have to get into this i mean it's going to be a great game again i'm really curious to see how many people can make it out there i'm still low-key considering it i gotta give up a whole nfl sunday for that though so i gotta really figure out how to make that work logistically um so i'm, I'm a firm maybe on sunday <laughs> yeah you can record dallas plays at one o'clock that day I actually don't even know. I didn't even look that up yet. You could record the game, drive home, and you got to stay off your phone and not figure out the score and all that. But can be done. I, I mean, I may have a dilemma myself. My mom's birthday is Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. But she already had plans to go out with uh, my aunts. So she's like, oh, we could do something on Sunday. I was like, all right, cool. And, you know, 
I had the Giants, but whatever, I could record it. Now I have two games on at the same time. I have to record two games. Or I just gonna I'm trying I'm just gonna try to push for like a nice dinner around 5 30. That's, that's <laughs> nice. the easy way to do it, right? Like both games should be over by then. So um hopefully that all works out. But I'm still gonna have to watch two games at the same time. Yeah, Dallas plays one o'clock against the Commanders, Mike. So stay tuned on that. Maybe we'll show up there, Mike. But you know what did show up this week? If you follow social media, if you're around anywhere, especially home field apparel, Mike, three new shirts or three, two shirts and a hoodie. Uh, they released new designs at homefieldapparel.com, Mike. Uh, one was a black uh, shirt with a gold lettering night scripts. One is a sort of a, a a yellowish goldish shirt with a kind of a, a two palm trees and a retro UCF logo. Uh, and they also have a hoodie out there as well. Mike, these are really cool products. Again, three new brand release shirts. Don't know how long they're going to be in stock for, but look, merchandise is at a premium right now. At UCF, if you like what you see here, especially the, the gold version of the night script, Mike, I haven't seen that one. I've seen the white one. I haven't seen the night script in gold. So that is a, uh, that's a cool one. And again, uh, these are the most comfortable shirts ever made by human hands. I mean, these shirts are so comfortable. You won't even know that you're, you're wearing a shirt, Mike. They're good quality shirts. Uh, and again, these are new designs. So go to homefieldapparel.com. When you get to the checkout, if you're a first-time customer, Suns 12 gets you 15% off whatever's in your cart there. So first-time customer, Suns 12, 15% off, Mike. But I have a secret for you all. So lean in real quick. Here's the secret. As part of our, not you, Mike, as part of our association with the, uh, the 1012 network, it's actually 1012 network week also at home field. They are running a promo network 12 gets you 15% off whether you've uh, been a first time buyer or not. So if you've bought from home field before, and then you can't use our promo code, tried network 12 as part of our affiliation with the 1012 network. That just might get you that 50% off you're looking for, Mike. So if the Suns 12 doesn't get you one because you've, you've been a loyal uh, home field uh, customer in the past, no worries. Tried Network 12. That's only good, I think, through the end of this week. So uh, if you're listening to us on Tuesday the 27th, you want to hustle. Homefieldapparel.com. Again, a couple new vintage shirts out there. A, a bunch of old stuff out there as well. Great quality shirts. Make sure you get out there and make sure you get yourself a shirt. I think Mike's concerned about some weather. So let's take a quick break here. Remind everybody we're sponsored by Gordon Partners, and we'll be right back. This is UCF Athletic Director Terry Mahajri, and in my spare time when I'm not on TikTok, I'm listening to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Go Knights and charge up. Okay, let's get down to Mike's picks. This is the segment of the show where Mike goes through his picks. We usually pick AAC-related teams uh, each week against the spread, and Mike tells you how he does. But before we get to that, Mike, don't forget we're also uh, working with Prize Picks. Mike, this is a, a cool app you can download. If you deposit uh, up to 100 bucks, they will match that 100%. All you got to do is use our promo code SUNS12. And again, 100% deposit match up to 100%, Mike. Uh, I know your picks didn't do so good. Are you, how's your prize picks looking this week? I, I haven't checked for this upcoming week, but I have not won any prize picks ah. bets yet. Um, I threw in a Dolphin one, too, on Sunday because I was you know, hanging out and watching the game. I figured to make it interesting. Uh, didn't win that one either. I had Gabe Davis going over 52 yards. Didn't, that was one of the things that didn't hit, but... Um, you know, these things go up and down with, with the prize picks is if I hit my next bet, I've already higher than what I was when I started anyway. So <laughs> that, that's the beauty of it. When you, you put the odds in and, you know, you can win five times as much as your bet and all that stuff. So, 
Um, I'm having fun with it at least. It makes some games that I didn't care about interesting, which which is part of the whole deal. Your boy here has won three in a row. I took another win wow. this week. I had the Plumley rushing yards over, and I had Caleb Williams, USC quarterback, to not throw an interception, and he did not do that, Mike. So I really had to scrape the bottom of the barrel there for some picks, but uh, I went uh, I went undefeated again, a third straight, straight week in a row. I'm looking at prize picks now. Nothing from UCF posted yet. Maybe they're waiting for the game, and so that's a, a bit up in the air, Mike. So um, nothing... Nothing there yet for UCF-wise, but I think the Plumlee rushing yards are going to get interesting. At some point, there's going to be a jump to Shark mobile where you want to start taking the under on those Plumlee rushing yards as uh, as teams got the game, start the game plan for him. Here's a, a line I really thought about. I know you don't know this player probably intimately. Will Levis, the Kentucky quarterback, you can get over-under rush yards negative six and a half. <laughs> But literally, he doesn't have he doesn't you know have to gain a yard. Just doesn't, doesn't don't lose any, and you win. However, his last four games minus eighteen, minus twelve, plus seven, minus ten. <laughs> he just doesn't have to get sacked. Literally, can just fall to the ground. He can even take a knee as long as it's not a bad knee, and you win this one minus six and a half rush yards. I've never seen that before. I'm tempted. <laughs> it's there for a reason. Don't take it. <laughs> In fact, he said he's going to run for less. Uh, who, who are the, I bet you Kentucky hasn't even played great teams. I know they played Florida already, but who else have they played? And he had negative rushing yards against those teams. I imagine one at least was a cupcake. That's probably the game he had 10 yards. Um, uh, seven yards against Youngtown State. Uh, they had, he had minus 10 this last week against Northern Illinois. Exactly. So who are they playing this week? They're probably playing an SEC team, though. They're uh, playing um, Ole Miss, I guess? Yeah. I'd probably say, you know, he obviously doesn't run at all. And maybe the offensive line is not that good. He's getting sacked three, four times a game. One big sack sets him back plenty of yards. Well, I'm not good at math. It might, do you take the over? If you think he's going to have more than six and a half negative yards, is that the over, even though it's negative? Um, over six and a half, well, negative six and a half would be, you know, minus four and a half, minus three and a half, you win. If you so I'll take the, the under. You take the under, yeah, that means he's going to lose more than six yards, six and a half yards. So he'll be minus 15. This is confusing. Yeah, I, I need to stay in the positives. Yeah, I can't do that then. There's <laughs> a, uh, a lot going on there. But you're up, you're plus money now, huh? You've won more money than you've lost so far in prize picks. I three. have, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, um, I've, I've, I've more than uh, doubled my investment so far in, uh, in, in my personal investment, not including what they, what they give you from a deposit match. I've more than doubled my investment. There you go. So it's working for some people. And if I hit my next bet, I'll be back up to where I started from too. Back baby. Yeah. But I'm only doing college. I haven't, I haven't dabbled in the NFL. I'm only doing two college picks a week. I'm trying to start off slow, get a little rhythm here. I'm going to build a little bit of a kitty and then we're going to go in and try to find some NFL stuff as the season goes on. So, but again, you should do the same download prize picks again, sons 10 or sons 12 rather get you hundred percent deposit match up to $100 Get in there now. Have some fun with us. You're watching these games anyway. You might as well have a little fun figuring out if Plumlee's going to throw the under on Plumlee throwing yards every week. You've got free money. It's not that hard, people. Uh, what is hard, though, Mike, is apparently you picking games because last week it did not look like it turned out well for you, my friend. For the second time already in four weeks. Oh, and three. Yuck. Uh, I'm one and eight in the last three weeks. <laughs> I started out three and oh. Four and eight overall now on the season. Last week, I lost UCF Georgia Tech game. I lost the East Carolina Navy game, which Navy won outright. And I lost Tulane Southern Miss, 
which Southern Miss won outright too, right? They beat Tulane. <laughs> yes, just yeah. horrible, horrible picks. And those were big time spreads. Um, not doing well there. Not doing great in the pool tracker either. I'm 20 and 26 on that, but only one game behind Trace now. Remember last week it was two. He's had his lead now for a couple weeks. He's 21 and 25. You, 22 and 24, tied with the Ben Rett guys, uh, Stat Boy, Drew, and Elo. But none of us really doing great. Every one of us under 500. The leader in the pool tracker, Valley Nars. Valley Nars. How do you say that? Valley. I think it's not ours. Like not ours. Yeah. That's how I was trying to say it. I don't know how it sounded. He's 28 and 18. That's damn good against the spread. So still early in the season. Still a long way to go. I anticipate passing Trace probably this week, if not by next week for sure. And then I got my eyes set on you and then Drew and Eric. And, you know, I'll I'll bounce back here. I, I can't get any worse. Okay. I could. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen your picks this week. So last week we went music. Did that help you? Do you want to stay away from the music? I mean, it didn't help. <laughs> but I, I got my own strategy this week. Okay. I, I, right. I looked at the games like I do every week. I looked at all the stats, at the you know Jeez. the history between the schools, how they did okay. last week. And I factored all that in. I give you guys all that information here. I, I go with what I was going to pick. I circled the opposites. I, I, so all these picks are the opposites of what my gut reaction tells me is actually going to happen. I went the other way on all three of these games. If you got your own gimmick, my friend, ride with it. What's the, <laughs> what's the first game? Cincinnati is minus 11 and a half at Tulsa. The Golden Hurricane, two and two so far this year. Coming off an old a loss at Ole Miss, 35-27. They have wins against Northern Illinois, Jacksonville State, and Wyoming, which took them to overtime. So um, the Bearcats, on the other hand, playing pretty well. The, the opening game against Arkansas, you know, they hung in there with Arkansas. That was a tough game on the road to start the year, but they look good now these last few weeks. They beat Indiana up 45-24 this past week, three wins in a row now. They've won the last three games in this series, but close games against Tulsa, um, including the championship game. A couple, I think it was 2020 championship game. They won that game by three points. So Tulsa won the last game at home, and, but that was back in 2016. That's the only time that Tulsa has beat Cincinnati in our lifetime. The last time, that, well, in my lifetime, because the last time they beat them was in September 13th, 1980. You were already born, right? So Ooh, you, were, yes. you were around for that All one. Right. I was there. I was still a couple weeks away. So my gut tells me Tulsa keeps this thing close because they've kept it close on these guys the last few times they played them. You know, 11 and a half points is a lot. So I really wanted to take Tulsa in this game. They're at home. We know how hard it is to win there, especially for, for us. We, we can never win there. But for those reasons, I'm taking Cincinnati to blow these guys out. Minus 11 and a half. Give me Cincinnati. Uh, so, uh, do you get these lines from, from the pool tracker? Uh, I get these lines from VegasInsider.com. Gotcha. Sometimes so, uh, the pool uh, tracker doesn't have the, the lines out when I when we record this. On the pool tracker, Tulsa is now a uh, um, plus nine and a half. So some That's money coming in, Mike. Yeah. All right. So you would think this is a game Cincinnati can win, right? This is essentially winning by two touchdowns. You would think they're they're two touchdowns better than Tulsa. Crazy things happen in Tulsa, though, Mike. Um, you know, but doesn't seem like only seems like that happens to us for some reason and nobody else. Um, I agree with you. I'll go Cincinnati as well. Even more reason. The numbers down to nine and you could get Cincinnati at nine and a half. Definitely take that. Right. So you don't have to cover those extra two points. 
and, and, the, and the fact that everybody's thinking that Tulsa is going to cover that easily kind of makes you feel even more comfortable with Cincinnati. All right. You sold me. Uh, game number two, we have East Carolina minus eight and a half at the Cows. All right. What do you think? About, oh, and this game has been moved to Boca, too, on yes. Saturday. Um, yeah. that, that was just announced today. The Pirates had that ugly loss this past week against Navy. They lose at home 23-20, to 20, still having problems with their kicker. Owen Daffer, he misses another field goal this week. Um, they, that, kicker stats, Jesus. This East Carolina team should be 4-0. They're 2-2 two and two now. And the Cows... One week after playing pretty well up in Gainesville, come back right back to reality over to Louisville and get destroyed again. What was it, forty-one to three in that game? Uh, the Cows have owned this series, though. I gotta tell you guys that yeah, you know, we, we had a hard time with East Carolina back in the Conference USA days. The Cows did not. They're nine and three all time against East Carolina, but East Carolina has won the last two meetings. So I mean, this was even more lopsided going back a couple years ago. Jeff Scott. On the hot seat, has Tennessee get any hotter at this point? The way this team has started off this year, I don't think so. Right, he, he's on his way out. This may be his last chance now. If he can have a strong performance in the conference play, win three, four games in conference, maybe he saves his job. I, I will know. say, Mike, it's been uh, three weeks in a row now. A coach has been fired uh, at the end of the week. So we had Frost, Herm Edwards, Jeff Collins. Is Jeff Scott next? It's possible the teams like to get this out of the way early now, but. Though you, the schools you just mentioned, schools have money. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska. Well, Auburn would like a word. I'd, they'd love to fry, fire Brian Harson. So there may be a line to fire their coach, but there's got to be one this week. That's the trend. Yeah, those schools all have money, but they can get rid of their coaches and you know, not even worry about it. It's a, a drop in the bucket for them. I don't think the cows can say the same thing. They're probably hoping Scott can turn this thing around here when they get to conference play. Uh, the Pirates need to get back on track, right? They're they're coming on the road, but really it's a road game for both teams now. Even more reason to like the Pirates in this game, I think. So give me the cows. Give me the cows to cover eight and a half points and keep this thing interesting. Why? I don't know. It's the opposite of what my gut tells me to do. This one's tough. <laughs> this one's <laughs> tough. The cows are the only team in uh, an FBS without a passing touchdown on the season so far, Mike. Uh, so it stands to reason they're going to, uh, at some point, that streak has got to break uh, this game is in Boca, so it's a, I guess, a neutral side game. Although it should feel very much like a cow's home game, I, I, I suppose. Uh, weird field for them. Uh, the ghost of Willie Taggart walking around. Uh, maybe there's some cow magic this week. I, I don't know. Maybe you might be onto something here. Maybe Willie T can inspire them. Maybe they'll see Willie Taggart and they'll be like, you know what? It's when things were great, and they'll just they'll just take off. You know, they got to get used to playing in this stadium. This is going to be their main rival stadium coming up starting next year. So. We get a little head start there. Um, I want to make a joke here, Mike, because Cows fans don't go to their own games. How many Cows fans are going to, to Boca? But I also understand they have a hurricane coming. They probably have more important priorities than driving down to Boca for a game. But give me, like, let's give me over under. If I, I set the over under at 750 people at this game on Saturday. You taking the over or the under? Whoa. Is that including all the people? Total on the fans. Field? No, just total total fan butts and seats. Seven fifty over or under. Oh man, uh, that's close. That's I'm not even trying to be funny. I mean, East Carolina fans that were planning on coming to Tampa, maybe they still all they have to do instead of taking down seventy five, take ninety five down, and, you, and you're here the same way, probably the same amount of time it would have taken them to travel. So I say East Carolina brings at least a few hundred. 
Okay. Right? And I think maybe you get over 750. Maybe you okay. get a couple, couple of interested people just locally here. Like, hey, I was actually going to watch the UCF game at 3 o'clock, 3.30 on Saturday. How about I go to Boca? There's a 20-minute ride. I go heckle the cows for a couple hours. That could be fun. Now I don't have the UCF game to, to compete with. I mean, maybe you could be the one. You could be the, Mr. 751 to bring this thing to the to the top, my friend. We got remind me to check back on this next week. I need a, I need an important update on this. This could be another case, though, of just like Navy beating East Carolina last week. If the Cows beat East Carolina, they're done, right? They have two losses already in the conference. This is a must-win for East Carolina now. They can't afford to lose to another crappy team like the Cows when they still have to play us. They still have to play Cincinnati. This is could be a spiral effect for East Carolina if they don't straighten this thing out now. But because of that, give me the cows to cover the eight and All right. <laughs> They're yours. Mike, and nothing better than this graphic that has Mike next to a cows logo. <laughs> All right. Game number three. I have not touched in the UCF game. The two times I've done it uh, have not worked out. So I'm going to stay away from keep t- uh, touching the UCF game. It's the Temple Owls getting 20 points on the road at Memphis. You know, we've talked for a long time now how terrible the Owls are. But they're coming off a win this week. Mm. They beat UMass 28 to nothing. You know, they haven't been as horrible. I know they got shut out by Duke to open the year, and they looked just dreadful. I know it was Rutgers, but they at least played a competitive game against them. I just mentioned the game they won. I think they won another game here somewhere in there, too. So um, they sucked last year, too. I hate to break it to everybody. And they beat Memphis last year. 34-31. So if that tells you anything, maybe Temple is that team to Memphis like Tulsa is to us. They just can't get over the hook. The Tigers are 3-1 and one right now. They beat Navy. So that, like you mentioned earlier, sole possession of first place in the American right now, the only team with a conference win. Uh, last week, they beat the Mean Green of Texas, of North Texas, 44-34. Uh, is this a trap game, though, for Memphis? Another thing they got to consider, hmm. the next week they have Houston – at home on a Friday night. So that this could be one of those, hey, you look past Temple a little bit, looking ahead to Houston. That kind of makes me want to think that Temple is going to cover 20 points, right? That's a lot of points. But for those reasons, give me Memphis to blow <laughs> these guys out of the water and win by at least three touchdowns. That feels right, too. I mean, at home, uh, you know, Memphis is playing well. Uh, you know, Probably want to make quick work of these guys. Houston's not really... I mean, they've got a couple of tough losses. I mean, Daniel Holgerson basically said, I'm done coaching my team. I'm sick of these guys. So I'm curious to see where that where that train rides. Uh, I agree with this one. Yeah, I mean, poor Temple. I feel bad. Yeah, oh, I don't I'll feel bad for either of these teams. But... Ah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Um, those are the picks. Those are the picks for the week. Cincinnati minus 11 and a half. The Cows getting eight and a half in Boca. And Memphis giving up 20 points to Temple. The UCF Mike picks opposite picks of the week. It's just George Costanza theory. If every uh, impulse <laughs> I have is wrong, the opposite must be right. So that's what I'm doing this week. I got to get things corrected here for my pickums. Can I? Do you have any lean on the UCF game? Where, where do you where do you think that was at? What is the number? I didn't even see the number. I think I saw it minus four. Minus four. Yeah, no, nah, I don't know. I wouldn't touch it. I mean, I just told you before, this is an overtime game. This could be a three-point game. When you get to that, what is it now, the third overtime, all it is is two-point conversions? Yes. Go yep. for two, go for two. Go for two. <laughs> I hope we don't get to that. I don't know if I, my heart can handle that. So, 
Um, you no, said this I, was going to be an overtime game. I have the headline here still. You told me it was going to be overtime. I know. That's what I'm saying. So four points would not really be an overtime score, right? If the game's in overtime, sure. somebody yeah. wins by three. I mean, I guess you could lose by – we could win by a touchdown, but not necessarily. All right. Well, what do you think? You think? We're covering four points. You're confident that we're going to go in there and win this game by at least a score? No. <laughs> I could see a field goal win. I could see a 27, 24, right? 31, you know, 28 kind of deal like that. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're probably going to be in for. So buckle up. Buckle up, friends. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, whenever they play this game. Uh, that's what you can expect. But the other games appear to be on as scheduled. So you can come back next week and see if Mike was able to uh, to continue his losing or winning or whatever ways he's trying to do. But uh, coming up next, we uh, speaking of losers, it's Cow of the Week. We're brought to you by Gordon and Partners. Okay, sons of UCF, both of you, you are the Let's get after it, Mike. How of the week time? We uh, we pick something, someone, uh, somebody, whatever that uh, did something stupid, foolish, idiotic. We make fun of it. We laugh at it. We call it cow of the week because we name it after our friends, the cows. And uh, it's a good time, Mike. It's a good time. Uh, you typically go with a cow, but I think you're pointing your arrow in a different Florida school this week. Yeah, I mean, really, I'm going to take it to all Florida schools. Uh, the state of Florida. After week one, looked really good, right? The Gators yeah. win a big game at home against Utah. Uh, we win, Florida State wins, Miami wins, and everything is looking like maybe football is back in the state of Florida. Well, not so fast, my friends. The Gators now have lost two in a row the first time since 1986 that they've started off 0-2 in the SEC. Uh, the cows have been cowing all season. The only time they even looked decent was when they were playing Florida, which kind of tells you a little bit something about uh, more about yeah. the Gators. So the cows get destroyed again this week in Louisville. They've already gotten the doors blown off by BYU earlier in the year. Now this one, the only team so far that hasn't lost, which is driving me nuts now because I got to hear from my brother-in-law, especially after they beat Louisville, after we lost to Louisville, Florida State. Florida State now is 4-0. The crowd looked like it was back into it. It, it. That game was over in the first two minutes against Boston College the other night. They returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Two seconds later, they get another turnover. They score again. That thing was done. Boston College sucks. I'm not completely worried about Florida State yet. They, let's see them get through these next three weeks. They get Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson. I anticipate them losing the next three games. So they'll go back down to four and three. And then we have a chance. We have a chance if we take care of business here in conference, get on a little roll. We saw what happened to these other schools. Florida doesn't look like they're much for this year. They're going to lose another game to Georgia. Probably another conference game down the road. They're going to have three, four, five losses. I just told you about FSU's losses. The cows ain't getting on track. But the one that made me the most happy and is the main cow of the week this week is the Miami Hurricanes. I mean, the Miami Hurricanes had the most cream puff schedule early on. The first two schools they played, I don't even remember who. One of them was uh, Southern Miss. Who was the team? Uh, was it FAMU maybe in the first Yeah, FAMU. FAMU. I mean, and just bl- – well, they struggled with Southern Miss a little bit. FAMU, they blew out. And they scored about 70 points. Southern Miss, they struggled with in the first half, but then they got things together, straightened it out. Then they go over to Texas A&M. Big game for them. Lose a close one. The offense, you start to see the holes in it. And then this week against Middle Tennessee State 
University. Mm-hmm. I had to Google it. I didn't know they were the Blue Raiders. Did you know they were Blue Raiders? Um, yes, I think I did know that. I had no idea. So I, I have a, a buddy of mine is sending me texts throughout because it's on at the same time as the UCF game. I didn't really want to switch to it, but my other friend was, and he's an FSU fan, was laughing so hard at, at Miami. He keeps giving me the updates. That game was not really even close ever. You're telling us he kicked their ass up and down the entire field the whole game. They're up 17-3 at the end of the first quarter, 24-10 at the half, and then they just matched touchdowns with them the rest of the way. Final 45-31. They threw the ball, Middle Tennessee State, 408 yards, three touchdowns passing for this Cunningham kid. Maybe he's the son of uh, – Well, well, I I think there's a (laughs) pigment challenge. Uh, He had touchdown passes, Mike, of 71 69 and then 98 <laughs> and he had another long pass that actually didn't result in a touchdown but they end up uh, punching in for a touchdown uh, on the ground afterwards look into these receiver numbers this guy chisholm two catches 169 yards he averaged 84.8 yards a catch two touchdowns obviously uh jay lane four catches for 130 yards an average of 32 and a half and Metcalf, one catch for 69 yards. These guys just poured it on them, and it couldn't have happened to a better team than Miami, who now they're going through their own quarterback controversy. Tyler Van Dyke was supposed to be Heisman candidate coming into this year, first-round draft pick, no doubt. 16 for 32, 138 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Now they're going with Garcia, who he came in 10 for 19, 169 yards. I love to see the Hurricanes in shambles. This week was a beautiful week. I, I was so happy. Nothing could bring me down. I didn't, Not a J.P. Gilbert post about my quarterback only throwing 49 yards. Not an <laughs> impending storm <laughs> on its way to Florida. Nothing brought me down on Saturday because the Cows got destroyed. Miami got destroyed by Middle Tennessee State. The Gators lost to Heupel on, on the last play. I mean, things couldn't have been any better. And UCF went by 17. But the Hurricanes, congratulations, Cow of the Week for me. Do you miss Hypel at all? I mean, I know everybody's missing his, the points that he put on the board, right? But yes. <laughs> at the same time, would our defense be playing as well as they are now mm-hmm. because they're fresh? Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes hand in hand. You can't have both things, I don't think. Not many teams do, unless you're Alabama or Georgia. So it's a different style. It's a different way of winning football games. But we won by 17, and I'm going to take it. All right, I got a couple of Cow of the Week options. One, I really want to give it to Devon Wilson. I talked about this earlier. Just, just If your shoelace comes untied, you probably were able to block that guy, and Chairman Morris Brash uh, does not score. But I'm going to go uh, the NFL, Mike. I'm going to go to the Dolphins-Bills game. Are you familiar with the work of one Thomas Morstead? Um, no. The Dolphins punter. Who got oh, yeah. shanked one right off some guy's ass <laughs> right in front of him, like right there in the end zone. The Dolphins are backed up. You know, he's, you know, literally feet on the end line and uh, he's got to make a punt and he squarely hits it right in the ass of his up man right in front of him there. Ball literally just squirts up in the air. Probably bad words with ass and squirt there in the same sentence. And uh, obviously Buffalo gets the ball back uh, and they don't, they don't capitalize, Mike. They can't win, which then brings my next cow of the week. Ken Dorsey goes absolutely ballistic <laughs> in the coach's box. Throws everything in sight, uh, chucks everything around, does everything he can to yell, throw, scream, 
uh, Ken Dorsey, a pretty mild-mannered guy at the University of Miami, by the way, but uh, went absolutely uh, crazy uh, in the booth there. So those are two Cal of the Week options uh, as well from the Miami-Buffalo game. Both Thomas Morstead kicks it off a guy's ass, and Ken Dorsey loses his ass in the uh, coach's booth. I was watching that Dolphins game, and when he kicked it, the angle that they were showing it at, I thought he just shanked it. I was like, oh, yeah. man, that's a horrible kick. I thought it went off to the side. I was like, damn, you didn't get Buffalo the ball back here inside the 20. Then they showed it again directly into the guy's ass. I'll tell you what, if that guy was another six inches further back, his foot would have gone up that guy's ass. I don't know if he would have been able to get it out. <laughs> that would have been some interesting stuff there. The ball almost went up by there. Um, a funny play probably worked out better for the Dolphins that way. I mean, you're – the announcer, even before that, or right after, said, yeah, I think they should have taken the safety. They got the safety anyway, and then uh, Buffalo had their chance. Couldn't get the clock stopped there at the end of the game to kick a field goal. Uh, good. The Dolphins look good. I mean, I, I know it's not my team. It's my wife's team. I have a lot of family down here that are Dolphin fans. My whole life, I grew up hating the Dolphins and rooting yes, against yes. the Dolphins. I've always been one of those guys. But at the same time, now, I, knowing so many of them and uh, people that are close to me, I can see them getting a, a day of a year of joy. They deserve to win a Super Bowl. They're good fans. The Jets fans, I have a lot of Jet fan cousins and uncles. I'd like to see them have a happy day one day. I always tell Whoa. them that, you know, you guys can win the Super Bowl one year. I'd be happy for you. I've seen the Giants win four. You've seen the, the Cowboys win a bunch. These, there's some <laughs> since 1995, bro. It's been a while. <laughs> suffering. Hey, people, look, these people have never seen That's the fair. Dolphins That's win. That's fair. That's fair. My, my wife's just turned 43. She's never seen the Dolphins win a Super Bowl. My cousin is about 45. He's never seen the Jets win a Super Bowl. So these people have been waiting their whole lives for this. The Dolphins look like a for real team right now. I know it's very early. They can make some noise. Uh, and if they do it, I don't expect the Giants to be there at the end. So it doesn't matter. If the Dolphins are in the Super Bowl, I'm rooting for the Dolphins. I'll say that. Michael Idy, uh, I live in Jacksonville. It's, we got Jaguar fever up here, Mike. The, the entire city is is absolutely, you know, just going crazy. The two and one Jaguars break up the Jags. They housed the LA Chargers this uh, past weekend. I think I think they go play uh, Philly this weekend. There's Jaguar mania is taking over Jacksonville. Yeah, they're looking good. Trevor Lawrence is looking good. So I, that was a game looking on the Giants schedule. I was like, oh, that should be a win, right? I, I was trying to plan out all these wins the Giants are going to have. Uh, I'm not so sure about any of them anymore. They have to win this game against the Bears because then they got a couple sure losses with the Packers and the and the Ravens after that. So um, now that now you're telling me Jacksonville is not looking that easy. So who knows? Who knows uh, in the yeah, NFL though? Right? Week week to week, you have yeah. no idea what's going to happen. No, yeah, the worst teams beat the, the Colts. It looked like they're one of the worst teams in the league one week. The next week they're beating the Chiefs. So nobody knows. Uh, it's almost impossible to guess these things. And which is why it shows you what my record has been in these pickups. I have no, I have no idea what I'm talking about, and, and really nobody does. Well, thanks for listening to uh, the Suns UCF, <laughs> this informative program that brings you uh, coverage of all things UCF related. Uh, on a serious note, again, it's a tough week out there for everybody. If you're listening to us, and whenever you're listening to us, hopefully everything is safe for you and yours. Uh, if you get bored and you want to. Go to download some content. We got like years worth of shows you can listen to to pass the time for you and your family. So, uh, but hope everyone stays safe out there. Uh, hopefully, we all get a chance to get together in the bounce house on Sunday. Everything is fine. Everything is calm. We get a nice, easy victory. Uh, but we know it's going to be a tough week again. Our plan right now, Mike, is to go live Thursday, 8 p.m. We'll make sure all of us can participate at that point. All of our guests can participate. So. 
well, stay tuned. If there's a change in that, obviously we'll let you know. But everybody be safe out there. Uh, this this Ian, this Ian, whatever we call this thing, it's a monster. I just saw the satellite while we were talking, Mike. The eye wall replacement. Are you one of these weather nerds? You're not a weather guy, right? Like you're not, you are following this thing. Are you tracking the Euro and the GFS? That's not you, is it? I'm looking at it because it's, I mean, it's scary stuff. And I'm really hoping nothing serious happens to these people. But no, I, I don't. I, first of all, I don't believe that they know anything. So oh, me, every three theory. hours, every three hours, they're telling me this thing's going in a different direction. Oh, the five o'clock advisory. Oh, it took a turn to the east. Oh, eleven o'clock. No, that thing's going. They have no idea what's going on. That's why I don't like trust it as much. When they tell me I'm not in the cone, that's when I get most nervous. When they tell me I'm in the cone, I say, okay, I, I've seen this before. Um, hopefully, this thing turns away from Florida. It doesn't seem like it's going to. It looks like we're in for a direct hit there on the west coast. Tampa is not looking good that whole area um fort myers area so i hope these guys are prepared man this does not look like a good one um but no i I don't follow it as closely if it was coming directly at me i'd probably have the weather channel on 24 7. so if that answers your question it's something this must watch tv (laughs) you're talking about you know your house your family and all that stuff coming in with a storm like this it can be very dangerous man especially in some of these areas. Yeah, again, everyone stay safe. I know uh, Fort Myers, Sarasota, Naples, Tampa, that area is obviously looking like they may get the hit and, and come through Orlando at that point. And, and then maybe up the coast, maybe out the coast, who knows? But uh, everybody be safe again. Thursday, we'll try to be here for you if everybody has power and can participate. Uh, if you want to join in and, and, and have some fun, make sure you do that as well. Uh, me, Mike, and Trace will bring you the latest. Anything changing with the game, we'll know about that. So we will update all of you. Until then, everyone be safe. Take care of each other. We will talk to you very, very soon. Go Knights. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.